Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. No sales from the front ever. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's Ria, folks. You know what I'm talking about? No smell of Bengay, stale coffee, and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done. I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. And if you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like, share it across the internet, wherever you, uh, wherever the attention is at, I really do appreciate it. If you have any questions and or suggestions too, let me know, reach out, let me know, go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer, hello, YouTube. You can watch us on youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. Legal disclaimer. It's the way of the world, folks. Don't get mad at me. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment or investment decisions, you contact a lawyer and other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't, su- don't sue me. And uh, go fuck yourself in your safe space, Okay. Show quote, time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote of the week, where I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And I always try and pick one too, that I'm, I'm reaching out on a limb here. I don't know Andy as well as I would like, but um, I always try and pick a quote I think uh, the guests might approve of as well. So this week it's, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to get permission by Rear Admiral <laughs> Grace Murray Hopper. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to get permission. <laughs> I figured you would approve of that one. You had something similar I was listening to on your uh, yeah. your TEDx. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to my guest. Oh, my God. This is the moment. My guest, Andy Diderosi. He started the Paper Street Company in Ferndale and the Detroit Bus Company, a local bus company that runs on biofuels and uses technology to bring buses, I would say, into the 21st century with people. As well, a Cranes 20 in their 20s winner, and also a speaker at TEDx Detroit in 2012. You probably also have seen or read about him somewhere Fox 2 News, Today, The Huffington Post, Fast Company, Nations Well, WXYZ, Detroit 7, to name a few. He also has a side hustle wrangling tigers with tarps <laughs> and weed whackers. <laughs> For his rates, go to the Detroit Bus Company.com. How much is that per tiger? Is that hourly or per tiger? Uh, I think it's the DetroitBus.com. I think someone bought the DetroitBusCompany.com. Oh, the DetroitBus.com. Yeah. The DetroitBus.com. Also got squatted on. Facebook.com forward slash DetroitBus. To Twitter, at that DetroitAndy and at DetroitBus. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for coming out. Of course, man. I'm pretty excited about this one. Mm. So Pressure is on. Pressure's on. Born and raised in Detroit. Yep. Suburbs or Detroit? Detroit, Detroit. Real Detroit. Real Detroit. Yep. Where at? Uh, ate in Gratiot and then uh, and then moved in my adolescence to Harper Woods, Okay. the H-Dub. Um, and then uh, now I'm back in Boston Edison. I'm uh, living on Boston. 
I saw that your mother is a lawyer, which probably sounds like a good thing to have. You're going to be <laughs> entrepreneurial and wrestle yeah. tigers and start businesses. Lawyer, lawyer mom's really helpful. Um, she's a commercial litigator, so like I couldn't have gotten more lucky with that one. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's a, that's a good break. Yeah, thanks, yeah. mom. Thanks, mom. I have some enemies I need smoked. Could yeah. you uh, could you help <laughs> please, me out, please, mom? Here's my lawyer slash mom. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine you have to be pretty nice doing what you do too, because you work with a fair number of government agencies and they probably don't care for my brand of uh, criticism anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> which yeah. is steady and constant. It's been cool. I mean, we've been able to tell it like it is, uh, you know, I've been appointed to two um, commissions, one for regulating taxis and one for um, trying to improve bus service around here. And um, I haven't gotten any, any slaps on the wrist yet. And I, I think I, you know, I think I tell it straight up. So, um, I think there's a there's like a, an air of improvement in all aspects that folks you know want things to be better here. Um, there's a lot more light now. There's like blogs and podcasts and stuff, so it's it's kind of hard to like shirk in the corner, you know, on responsibilities. A lot of attention in Detroit. So much, late. yes, so much. So you're a relatively young man. Sorry, I forgot to turn off my phone. Isn't that like podcast rule number one, dude? It is. I thought I had it on silent, and I did not. So you're a relatively young man, 26, 27? 28 now. 28 now. <laughs> At some point, you decided, I'm going to go buy a commercial building <laughs> with no plan whatsoever, uh-huh. with some friends that are going to, well, I won't, I won't say, in Ferndale mm-hmm. from, the Wing, or from the Oakland County Tax Auction, right? So um, few, a, a few minor details. So I... Uh, I had started a small business dealing in um, used cars. I found that you could go to an auction and get a car for like 100, 200 bucks, um, you know, fixed them, cleaned them up. Wasn't really aware of any sort of like dealer laws or anything being 16 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, sold my first car and I like had like $1,200 cash. And I was like, oh my God, you know, it would have taken me like forever and ever to make this bus and tables. Dude, that's like a solid two months of fast food. <sighs> yeah, yeah, for real, for real, nonstop too. Um, and, uh, and so I just saw this moment when I can disconnect like the amount of time that I put in and the amount of reward that I got back, um, which is, I guess is like the core tenant of small business, you know, or any business really, um, is trying to find ways to make your innovation and your like thoughtfulness in the marketplace worthwhile rather than just like turn, turn in a crank, you know, or grinding the ax or whatever analogy you want to use for suck. You were uh, a young car flipper. I was a young car flipper. Yeah. Yeah. Cars, cars are the new real estate. <laughs> it's, it's 20 square feet of prime, uh, freeway front real estate. Hey, from D- Motor City, at cars. I know. I know. And, and what red blooded American, especially red blooded American male, doesn't like working on cars? America. America. <laughs> at least when I could. I can't figure them out now. Yeah. The what yeah. sensor, but, uh, you got a Bluetooth into it and stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, the business was going well and I needed to grow my space. So I got a little shop. Um, and then uh, I needed more space, and so I found this twenty thousand square foot building in Ferndale, um, old factory, dirty, uh, hadn't been occupied in a while. Um, and I went to the landlord and I said, "Hey, like, you know, I, if you can lease me this whole thing, I, uh, you know, I'll lease out the spaces in it. Like, I, you know, I have, I don't really have much of a plan, but um, I've got some friends that want space too, so you know, I'll just, I'll lease it and then I'll lease out to them." And he's like, "Okay, cool, no problem. I'm getting my money, no, no sweat." Um, and I went to everybody who I had, you know, picked out to make this like car mecca. Uh, and every single one of them was like, nah, I'm cool. Like, no big deal. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to stick with my garage. Uh, and I was like, shit. 
So, man. so you signed a lease, yeah, and like a five year lease, their mind, yeah, for like a lot of dollars. Um, and uh, yeah, then I was just kind of like aware of this concept of a business incubator, didn't really want to call decks. I know those are kind of complicated. This is uh, this would have been late 2009, um, so like you didn't have. Tech Town, you didn't have Pony Ride, you didn't yeah, have none of that was there. Didn't have anything. Um, none, none of the co-working spaces. Um, and so uh, I put an ad out on Craigslist. I took the name from Fight Club. I called it Paper Street. Um, we had the industrial part in the back, Paper Street Motors. It just felt that you know there was rare that you could just like drop in and get some industrial space that isn't like five thousand square feet. Um, so we made these small bays, and in a month we were full up. I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, and, uh, taught me a lot, taught me a lot about how, uh, a furnace on the roof can go out and you're on for, you know, 2,500 bucks. That's what triple net means. Yes. Um, I know the term, I know the term triple net real good now. Yeah. You didn't Um, know that before, huh? I know the budget wise billing plan is a good thing. (laughs) I know that winter sucks and summer doesn't. (laughs) Um, so, you know, you learn a lot real quick when, uh, when you've got to write that rent check every month. That's like trial by fire right there. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hellfire. So you didn't quit. A lot of people just would like, uh, uh, Mr. Landlord, I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can keep my security deposit. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, it's yours now. Merry Christmas. And I'm yeah. sorry about that. Um, no, but you no. went the other direction. You're like too dumb to quit. Um, went bigger and bigger and bigger. So, uh, we, uh, you know, kept tenants in there and, and got some really good ones, grew a lot of tenants up and out. Like they, like they moved into a little office and then they were successful and they're like, Hey man, I got to go like rent my own building somewhere. And it's like, that's the idea. Like that's what we wanted. Um, no government subsidies or incentives or any of that, you know, probably could have got some if we were smart enough to, but you know, like very impatient, very into immediacy. Um, and market driven completely, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting dumb. Like you could say market driven, market Market driven. driven. (laughs) I'm good at dumb, man. I got a PhD (laughs) in dumb. I could tell you stories. Um, so uh yeah so across the across 9 mile um we bought a building and then um uh leased another one um and grew the one building was all industrial the other one was all offices um you know that was pretty successful but then the bus company came into the picture like the 900 pound gorilla of you know 7 day a week uh you know i had no idea like we were doing some small business classes at paper street and we had a business plan writing workshop and uh, one of the guys I had, Tom Nardone, who was teaching the the business plan workshop, um, was like, and for example, don't start a business like Andy's, this bus company. You know, it was like a month old then. He's like, he's got no plan. He's getting all this media. Uh, you know, he's got one bus. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Tom. It's like, don't do that. Like, that's the that's the stupidest thing you could ever do. And I was like, oh, ha, ha, okay, thank you. Um, but totally agreeing with him the whole time. Um, and then like, you know, a year after that, the bus company like takes up you know, 110% of my time. So, um, so we wound down paper street after the last of the tenants sort of graduated. Um, and, uh, the rest is bus history. And that was, so after that you're running into the Detroit bus company and that, that was an idea that came out of your frustration at just lack of public transportation in Detroit and all. And they kind of went sideways for a while on the light rail rail project, right? Yeah. Yeah. So light rail was like a, a big thing coming. And, um, you know, there's always plan for it to go from, uh, downtown all the way up to Pontiac. Uh, I thought it'd be a tremendous resource for us. Like people would see this as a sign of things to come for the city. And like, it just, I had a lot of sort of faith built into that one. Um, and then the headline runs, uh, light rail is dead. Uh, and I was like, God, like, well, how did they screw this one up? Like, 
you know, we the money was allocated, like the Fed was willing to put something in. Uh, and then you've got like infighting between the suburbs and the city. The city wants to own the whole thing. The suburbs don't want to have sit- folks from the city have access to the suburbs. It's the exact same thing why the buses suck here and why smart is an opt-out system that communities can just say that I don't want to be a part of a national or of a regional transit network. Uh, and the law goes, okay, like you're able to opt out because the folks that have voting power in those communities don't need it. And so they look at like the $30 a year or whatever it is on their taxes. And they're like, nah, I'm cool. Yeah. Like I don't need it. Uh, and the it's, help could just walk to work, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just bootstraps it. Just, you know, take the bootstraps express. You don't need um, no stinking bus. Mm-mm. Oh, the smoke was delicious. Um, so they uh, uh, they killed it for the while, and you know, originally we were just going to do a joke. We were going to rent one of those little fiberglass kitty trains that you rent for like a kid's birthday, and like run it up and down Woodward for a day. Uh, that would have been great. And say like, "Let rails here, it's fixed." Ha ha. Um, and it I turns out it. no one wants to rent one of those to you to do something like that. Yeah, they don't end up in the news. <laughs> what are you going to do it for? Nothing, kids. Nothing, dude. <laughs> It's just the middle of January, you know, um, but uh, but in for this whole thing, I had a, like a small buy sell business going and a bunch of buses came up for sale, um, you know, well-maintained kind of older school buses, um, you know, diesel, uh, totally like solid machines. Um, and uh, first off, I was like, I want buses just because they're cool. Like I just wanted these giant vehicles. That was originally like why I wanted them in my parking lot. Um, didn't really know what to do with them. I just figured like something. Uh, and then this transit discussion kind of collided with that. And I was like, whoa, like we can just run these on the same corridor the light rail was going to run, you know, Royal Oak, Ferndale to Detroit. Uh, and we'll just make it as affordable as possible and give it a shot. And so we put the buses on the road, found out you need extremely expensive insurance to do so. Yeah. Um, almost got shut down because of that, because all the quotes we were getting were like 100 Gs a year That's per ridiculous. vehicle. Yeah. Um, cause they just like, they looked at it and they just went like, let's kill this thing. Like, let's like do what we can. I to make can't it go legally away. say no. So I'm just going to say a stupid number. I'm going to make it a no million dollars. Yeah. 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 And then he said, no. Yeah. That's the way a lot of stuff goes is they want to, they want to solicit the no from you with like unfavorable conditions, you know, just like how to go to the airport with a bus. It's $30 per bus. Every time we go to the airport, like there's no way you could run a service with that. You'd be paying millions in access fees when the LAX airport is like yeah. $2.20 per bus to access the airport. So like we can get into that one later. But <laughs> uh, but they they set unfavorable conditions so that you don't you don't proceed. Um and uh we looked at like why do bar shuttles work? Like why are those allowed? Um and it's a totally different risk category, which oddly is way less. Uh and so we said, okay, well this service runs from this bar in Royal Oak to this bar in Ferndale to these bars in Detroit. And it was like, Hey, no problem. <laughs> like, here you go. Still exorbitantly expensive per vehicle, but not a million bucks. Doable. 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 That's odd that you can't go to the airport at the Royal Oak. It's a hundred thousand dollars, but uh-huh. you go from bar to bar, and it's all of a sudden more affordable. Totally cool. If you got a beer in your hand, you're all right with them. Um, it's the American way. Yeah, America again. See? America. America. Yeah. Um, I hope that was an appropriately light and tasteless beer, right? Mm-hmm, the American mm-hmm, fashion. Nice lawnmower beer. Yeah, <laughs> I love that at Red Coat. They got them listed as lawnmower beers. Lawnmower beers. Uh huh. Cold. Even- cold as a driven snow. Yeah, the best cores I had was at the factory, and it was like just above freezing, so you couldn't taste it. That's the only know? way to get it down. It's good mm-hmm. that way too. Mm-hmm. 
so we had a bus company and um we've since you know we've ran really lean in that we've looked through um all sorts of different business models and uh ways that we can provide the services that we want um we started the youth transit alliance uh and so we get kids to their schools and after school programs um that's totally free for them and supported by the skillman foundation and the united way um we're trying to find ways to operate totally off of earned revenue um because the nonprofit sort of grants world is just difficult you need like a dedicated staff to write and maintain those grants and by the time we've done that like we're getting a couple buses out there and we've got a staff of 20 just for writing grants and it just it's not the way we want to run um we're we can't we're not going to get to that scale that's why there's no other community sized nonprofit bus company is because this took a tremendous upfront investment with very little uh, uh outlook on return on it um and you just you just can't get to that scale that you need to be able to write all those grants and maintain all that paperwork. So, um, you know, what we do is we run charters and tours and we use the money from those to pay for the nonprofit services that we run. It's a very like social enterprise sort of Tom's model. Um, and you're going to see next year uh, that we're going to formalize that, that it's going to be ride for ride. So if you ride on one of our tours. Um, a kid will get a ride to his school or after school program. Excellent. Uh, and we're going to track all that. All the data is going to be available on the website. Um, it'll be very transparent. Um, so, and I hope that folks that'll that'll push folks to want to do tours and adventures more with us. Absolutely. Why would it not? We'll no, see. No gun involved either. No, no gun force involved. involved. You mm-hmm. can help kids. Is, is there a way somebody could just give you money if they didn't want to take a bus ride? Oh yeah, yeah. We'll do that. So um, yeah. Let's make sure we get that out there too. Yeah, we'll have that on the Detroit bus uh, with the new year. Um, this is nothing we've announced yet, uh, but I, I I really do think that social enterprise is a vastly growing way to do business. Um, I don't think it works for every industry, and there are a lot of like Tom's copycat. Um, sort of models out there uh, where people are already like selling t-shirts and they're like, oh, I'm one for one now. Like I'm going to put a t-shirt on someone. And it's like, well, that's cool. Um, But like, you know, I don't think kids are really like clamoring for like t-shirts. Like they got t-shirts, like they need opportunity. And so I just, I, I just want folks to think more broadly about like how they're offering their social good, you know. Well, a lot of people don't realize too just how big a city Detroit is. Oh man, it, yeah. Compared to your normal city, you can get three any other three American cities. Yep. Within the city Detroit limit. So if you're a kid, you have an after school program, or if you work in a job, you don't have a car, you got to get from point A to point B. Talking about 140 plus square miles of Detroit, it can take a long time. 45 minutes. In a car, right? From the speed limit from one end to the other, right? Let alone a bus. Totally. And the buses, the public buses too, you know, you're taking transfers. You might be two or three hours uh, on a bus total in your day, um, you know, an hour and a half to two hours in the morning and in the afternoon. Um, that's insane. Like, you're talking about like half of a work day, like every single day, just dedicated to like working around this labyrinthian bus system, um, which is just maddening. So, um, the other thing we're working on is a, is an on-demand responsive bus system, you know, something that could be lazily described as an Uber for buses um, that would combine like interests into um, flexible dynamic routes. And so things would always be changing. Um, the sort of fixed bus route is really pretty archaic. Um, the reason why that was is because you would staple a flyer on a telephone post that says this bus is going to come here every day, two, three, four, five o'clock. Um, we don't need to do that anymore. No um, internet, no apps back then. There was right? no internet back in the back in the bus inventing days. 
Um, but now we've got things. And so I think that we inherited a lot of um, old school methodologies and, and you know, quote unquote technologies uh, or you know, routes are, are technologies um, that we don't need to that we don't need to use anymore. And the argument against that is, well, smartphone proliferation isn't 100 percent, you know, especially in low income communities. Um, but it's it's dramatically better than most people assume. Um, and the vast majority of people in low-income communities access the internet completely through mobile phone. Um, you know, a boost mobile phone and a and a prepaid card are not that high of a barrier to entry compared to what you get for it. Um, and uh, there's ways around it too: call in bookings, and you know, we can handle the sort of fringe. So, um, yeah. yeah, the idea that we have to know everything to start is something that annoys me too, right? We, yeah. we, we could just start solving some problems and then fix problems as they pop up and then change it afterwards, too. Like, I think some people want to know everything before they start. Right. And that's just not the way life is or where business works or how people work. Well, you don't know what you want always. You don't know what you need. Yeah, and that's that's the trouble. You know, um, I, I think writing a business plan uh, is good for a lot of things. If you're, like, launching, like, a restaurant um, – it's pretty clear. You know how much your meat's going to cost. You know how much you're paying for your dishwashers. You know how much rent's going to be. Like you can like brick things out pretty good. Um, if you're trying to start something that's way on the fringe and really like melding together a few different fields, it's really hard to put that together into a plan. It's good to put all your thoughts into one place. Like here are some assumptions that I have. Um, and without a written business plan that has backed up numbers it's going to be very difficult to uh, obtain investment except from like super diehard fans and like friends and family who you've been able to explain the concept to um but uh you know a lot of the stuff like we kept getting pushed to like write a business plan for the detroit bus company uh and it was like well i don't know like you know we change our tack every three or four months and that's actually i found out the other day the definition of a lean startup so you hear like lean and fat startups a fat startup just means like tremendous investment in one direction. That means like you are spending a lot because you're totally confident in your marketplace position. A lean startup isn't cheap. A lean startup means that you haven't invested much in a particular marketplace direction because you're not sure of it yet. You haven't tested it yet. And so the DBC is like the very definition of a lean startup. I love when you like do something and then you find out the word for it later. You're like, oh, that's what it's that's called. That's what I was doing. I'm, yeah, I'm a lean startup guy, you know? <laughs> Uh, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I think that's totally a valid way to go. If you can swing it, if you can swing that sort of uncertainty, it also brings in like enormous marketing issues that like every time you go to print a flyer, you're like, well, I don't know if we're going to be doing this in three or four months. Do I need to print 50,000 of these flyers? Like maybe I'll just print like a thousand of them. Um, And so like messaging is way harder when you're always, you know, changing it up. Speaking of which, how old were you when you started the Detroit bus company. Well, that would have been 2011. Um, so I'm 28 now. Uh, you know, I think I had I had the idea of putting buses on the road like kind of loosely since I've been like 23. You know, but um, yeah, I think I bought I bought the buses. I must have been I must have been 24. Yeah. Where do you get the money <laughs> to buy a bunch of buses? <laughs> I, who do you go to and go? All right, look, they're, they're messing everything up. We we just got to start something. We got to get people from point A to point B. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do it yet, but I need X number of buses and X number of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I look a little young, uh, but we're going to do this technology too. Uh, 
How did you do that? How much money did you have to raise? I've had no investors so far, zero. Um, because you it's all yourself, out of your own all, pocket? all my out of my own pocket. Um, Man. And then other other folks told me like the best kind of money to spend is other people's money, and I was like, I would love to get some of that. Um, <laughs> I'm tired of spending my own please, money. I would love some of that. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I started the small the cars business. And then um, got into Paper Street, which, you know, never turned a profit, but at least covered its own expenses. But I had space that I could, you know, do stuff with. And so it allowed me to be, be more flexible. Um, I got into like a, a buy-sell business, um, uh, dealing in uh, a sort of surplus industrial and restaurant equipment, like the most boring-ass thing you could possibly imagine. Um, that does sound a smidge on the... The dull side, but I will say that every once in a while something really cool came up, um, and the the sort of big break we got was when Farmer Jack uh, uh, folded up. Um, the landlord who owned one of the big distribution centers, the one at M thirty nine and I ninety six, like that super huge yeah, one, yeah. used to be there. Um, it was full of equipment, and through the network, uh, I heard they were looking for someone to help them dispose of a lot of this equipment. Um, and so we approached them with a plan. We said, you know, we've got a lot of experience in marketing stuff like this. We've got people on hand and warehouses and forklifts to like move this crap. Um, and, uh, let's just do it on a percentage agreement. And so that helped me not need to put any cash up front. I didn't need to buy all this stuff wholesale. They had a person on site immediately solving a problem that they had. Um, and you know, that was, that was pretty successful. Um, it took up like seven or eight months of my life, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, that got me, uh, a reasonable amount of money that I then took and, you know, bought the couple buses with still have some of that equipment left over. If anybody needs a meat slicer, I got you, bro. (laughs) I got you. Um, if you need a rotisserie, got 10 of them. Um, but, uh, rotisserie on folks. Gotta get your rotisserie on low, low price. Mm. Uh, but it, uh, it, it just kind of snowballed. So, um, you know, I just turned a little bit of money into a little bit more money. Um, terrible at soliciting investment um, or grants or any of that. Uh, you know, and, but we've been really lucky. The Skillman Foundation approached us about solving their youth transit issue. Um, and, like, it certainly was a lot of hard work. But, you know, they said, here's a problem. Help us fix it. And usually you got to go find your problem. So I'm very lucky for that. Um, Converse Shoes reached out two years ago. And funded uh, getting two buses painted up with like you know kind of the colors of the year, um, but it didn't have any of their other branding on it or anything. And they like you know paid for some of our youth services. Um, so just because it might be anecdotal, but I feel that when you put that flag out there and you're like, this is the thing I'm working on. Um, if it's a problem that needs solving, I think resources and folks and stuff will gather around that solution. Um, you know. If I tried to start another one of these things and that didn't work out, then I'd be like one for two. So my sample size <laughs> is very small. Um, so like take it with a grain of sand, salt, whatever you want to take it with. Uh, but I think that like if you're tackling something big enough, um, you've got no shortage of like ways to handle it. Yeah, you weren't afraid to put yourself out there either. And a lot of people want to like hide their idea from the world. And I never agree with that. I, I think you should go the other way and tell everybody. Yeah. You have to. When I get, I get, uh, some woman just started a, another bus company out in Providence. And I figured out 
I found it out because the Google alert came up with the Detroit bus company. And in some articles, she was saying, like, we took this idea from the Detroit bus company and this idea and this idea. It's like a it's like an almost clone of the bus code. They look the buses look the same. The routes are similar. What they're doing, the buses are everything is like totally lifted. Uh, And when I saw that, I was like, good luck, like enjoy, Um, because like. You're gonna I guarantee blow, no success. <laughs> you're going to blow a water pump at one in the morning. It's going to be your ass out there with the tools. Yeah. Um, it's just like there's nothing easy about the transportation business. There's nothing easy about social enterprise. There's nothing easy about running a business in Detroit. No. You talk to your friends that are in other bigger, fancier cities, uh, and they're like, yeah, I grossed like you know, $6, 7000000 million last year. Oh. And you're like, I would be so happy to clear a mill. Uh, gross, you know, uh, probably like $25 net. Uh, and it's just like it's just the reality doing business here, and and I think a lot of folks can't take that. That's just like it's just like too much for them, and they look at launching something in like even like Cleveland, and they're like it's just going to do better there. If you're looking at just the bottom line, like the num the numeral uh, the numeral bottom line, uh, Detroit doesn't make any sense. But there's so much more to it, and I think that we're going to be rewarded when this market comes back. I hope. If I not, call it pioneering. We're pioneering right pioneering, now. Pioneering, yeah. We're, I think it's more it's not prospecting. Certain. Prospecting, pioneering. I don't know. I took enough <laughs> arrows in the back. I might call it pioneering. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like prospecting too, right? Well, There's gold here somewhere. We just got to find it. I got lucky. You know, I was I was born here and raised here, and you know, I'll I'll stay here even if the market takes another huge dump. Like I'll figure something else out. Um, this is my home, but uh, I think a lot of us are in the right spot at the right time. Um, and we're finding that, you know, this is, this is the bottom of the, the slump and hopefully things come up from here. Um, I think it's going to take longer than people want it to. I oh, think yeah. people are expecting like next year, like no. you talk to some, I know, I know you're in a real estate. If you talk to some property, uh, owners who are looking to sell and they're looking for like, you know, $900 a square foot. And you're like, dude, like no. I, I understand that that might be what this is worth in 25 years. It is not worth that right now. No, yeah. <laughs> there's there's still a lot of crying to go on. Things yeah. are heading, I I would say, more or less in the right direction. But I feel like we just started our journey. Totally, and we have a long totally. way to go. And I don't want to be pessimistic, but it's still possible to fuck it up. Oh my God, yes. Everybody's so acting like, oh, it it's all fine now. Like, no, damn it, keep your eye on the ball, okay? Just because we got to go in the right direction doesn't mean we can't run this thing right off a cliff. And- That's totally it. I was just talking to Josh um, Greenwood from uh, Urban Bean. And uh, he said that the Michigan Theater is charging – no, not Michigan Theater. Over by the courthouse. They're charging 80 to $85 a day. I think it's in Michigan Theater, actually. $85 a day for parking. That's their day rate. Oh, my God. And you're like – I was like, I could park on the observation deck of the Empire State Building for $50 a day. <laughs> like, they got one spot up there. The elevator brings you up. Like, you could park in the center of Manhattan for 50 bucks a day. And so why are we asking $80 for that? Why are we asking like twenty two hundred bucks a month for some of these like small apartments downtown? Like you're talking like center of Chicago prices. I just don't think that's sustainable. And I think the marketplace will correct that. Absolutely. I think they're gonna get smacked back down. You know, we're cool here, but it's not it's not twenty two hundred bucks a month cool, you know. Um like some some of the lofts, I'm not gonna name names, but some of the lofts you've seen, uh the sale prices on those. You're just like, what are you talking about? Eight hundred and forty thousand dollars. The last two years have been crazy. I've been watching that just mine i have a friend who's selling them and i had no idea she started talking to me about it. I'm like oh my god really yeah that? yeah i remember five years ago you couldn't give that shit away right literally right. like take one 
Well, remember in Ferndale? I was offering like 30000 I think it was at the time. And I saw one go for over 300000 that I offered 30000 on <laughs> seven years ago. Well, even in Ferndale, like, was it four or five years ago, those lofts on nine? If you, I think if you bought one, they gave you a Land Rover LR3, I think it was. <laughs> and they had this, like, big poster. And it's like, holy shit, really? How about you just give me the $44,000 back? Like, well, we can do that, yes. too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think we're going to see a big correction on these like extremely overpriced things. Um, but you're going to see a general sort of rising of the tide in, in rents and, and values across the city, I think. Um, you're seeing things that are, aside from these sort of like 40-pack of homes that, that the sort of, uh, I wanted to call them Blackwater, uh, Blackstone, uh, Blackwater <laughs> is buying. Um you know, you're you're seeing like the average home out in the neighborhoods coming up, and that that's good for everybody. Um, the cost of, I argue, the cost of drywall in Detroit and in LA, it's the same piece of drywall, um, and so you're seeing it become f- economically feasible to to restore a lot of the stuff. Um, the Boston Edison, like where I live, and the Indian Village are kind of weird ones because you have to like you're talking like historically relevant and like high end millwork and stuff. Those ones are going to be a while before they like really truly make sense to like put in like the high end craftsman work, not like DIY mode. You know, yeah. you've got some friends probably that own oh, the yeah. Boston Edison stuff, sure. and they're like there every day. Dig it! Like the mission is the mission is good, um, but to be able to hire a carpenter to come in who knows how to do that stuff and to make money at the end of flipping that thing, it's going to take a long time. Long time. I wouldn't even. Well, I've had my ass kicked too many times too. I'm a little <laughs> bit more cautious than I used to be. Hair on fire. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. We've got, t- we got tough butts. We lose a couple million dollars. Like, ah, oh, damn. That hurts. What a bad Tuesday. That stings. Yeah, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so how many buses did you start with? I started with a bus. A bus. Uno. Yeah, his name is Bettis after Jerome the bus Bettis. Um, <laughs> still on the road today. Uh needs a little love but it's um no it's that's our flagship bus and then um you know about a month or two later i got bus number two uh some guy immediately rear-ended it uh fell asleep in the squad car because he blew a 0.19 after driving up underneath it uh a canadian thank you canada for sending him to us (laughs) um i totally blame all of you yeah and then we picked up a transit bus out of harrisburg pennsylvania um a couple more school buses like we just sort of people ask us where we get them from we pick them up where we find them um and i've gotten smarter i've learned that buses from the south probably a smart investment rust kind of sucks um you know so that's uh that's pretty good and um you you got a couple like greyhound style motor coaches and uh those are exorbitantly expensive everything on them uh it's about a buck a mile to fuel Oh, which like that's like airliner stuff. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> I think a plane's cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, we we we're, we're zeroing in on what our marketplace stuff is. Um, you know, tours are very successful. Um, we're also offering like a very unique experience. Uh, you know, I've been to other cities. I don't know if you've traveled and looked at like what the bus tour offerings are. I would never be caught dead. I wouldn't be caught dead on a bus tour in like New Orleans or New York or whatever as a 20 something. Um, cause it just seems so boring. Oh yeah. And so we try to find ways to, to, to make these adventures and doing things that people actually want to do. Um, so like our top one is drunks of antiquity, which is the four oldest bars in the city. You meet the owners, you know, they're all cash places like $2 beers. Um, you get to hang out and like just soak in the history and you don't have to drive. And like people find that one tremendously fun. Um, 
and we're we're launching some other ones that we don't we don't have released yet but um coming into the new year that these are things that like you could not do as an individual we're getting you into places that um you just couldn't walk into or call them and ask to do so um you know my sort of white whale is like the salt mine uh that's gonna take a little bit longer but that's um, i'm going to that one (laughs) speaking of which let's start what tours did you do and how did you come up with the idea and which tours most importantly because we all know that business is just an enormous failure heap right Mm mm-hmm failing until you find something that works and mm-hmm. what are the two what are the ones that didn't work you know oh boy so um we'll start out on the good ones yeah. so i don't get too depressed uh <laughs> drugs of antiquity is really good our first tour we ever did was frontier anarchy and so this was um pre-automotive detroit history and so it was with amy elliott bragg we actually started doing tours because i was flying back from uh san francisco i just like spoke at a thing and um i was reading the book uh the hidden history of detroit and I was like, this is tremendous. It's all about like booze and guns and like, you know, uh, jokesters and millionaires and barons. And that's America you know, right there. We don't right? have barons anymore. I want to, we want, I want barons like Red Baron and, you know, Lumber Barons. But <laughs> Steal all the land, right? Bridge, well, I guess Maddie's a bridge baron, right? Can we call him, start calling him a bridge baron? He kind of is. Uh, but um, well, he's a trucking baron all, over everything, I think. Um, the bridge is a side project, you know. That's, that's a just, nice side project. Just, <laughs> so um uh the Frontier Anarchy was all about like how um Eastern Market used to be a a, a cemetery and um you know they moved all the bodies and built a market, you know, maybe missed a couple. Um but I was so enthralled with this book that I uh I tweeted at Amy Amy Elliott Bragg and I was like, Hey, do you want to do a bus tour? And like right away she was like, Yep. Uh and so we put our you know, we, we had our first bus on the road May 2012. Um, we did our first tour like December 2012. So it was pretty quick. Um, and uh, it went gangbusters. It was super packed. Um, people were really into like the old school bus, the BYOB, um, the sort of like going out on an adventure together. Um, we had a lot of fun providing that tour. Um, the, the trouble that we ran into with that was that um, Amy was like, you know, just a total rock star as far as presenting the tour. Um, but she's also like an extremely busy professional and, you know, media person and writing her own books and like, you know, just doing her own thing. And so trying to soak up her weekends, both given bus tours, like it just gets old for her. So, um, she was like, Hey, I'm writing a new book. I can't do these things anymore. Um, we trained up some other, some other guides, uh, but it didn't have the same kind of thing. It wasn't like the same celebrity, like power, um, and so, uh, some, that tour was something that was immensely successful and really fun to do, um, but difficult to scale, mm. you know, you can't really scale like that sort of celebrity glow, um, on things. And so, uh, Drunks of Antiquity, we specifically wrote with the, with the idea that it could be presented by anybody who's, you know, fun and, and awesome. Um, and that's been really good for us. Um, you know, some other things that we've done, um, like we've done like shopping tours, um, for the holiday season. Uh, you know, the last two years, uh, we had those be super packed and we'd sell, you know, 150 tickets on, on those each, each time. And they were a guided experience. The bus would pick you up. You'd have a person with you taking you along and, uh, uh, going to each stop and like telling you what's there. And then we, it was like 35 bucks a person. We changed it up. We thought we want to make this more accessible. Um, we want it to be like a $20 price point. So we'll make it a shuttle. 
and this shuttle will run between you know point A, B, C, D, um, and you can just hop on and go around however you want. Sold almost no tickets this year. Wow! Um, because it was a different kind of event. People saw shuttle and they were like, "Well, like you know, I've got my hatchback. I can like drive around to stores, and then I'm not rushed." Um, whereas with the tour, like you roll as a group, and so you'd have as much time as possible. Um, or it, you'd have a reasonable amount of time, but you'd also have somebody that's like there for you and like being your Sherpa through like the shopping experience. Um, Sherpa shopping, Sherpa shopping. It's just fun to say, uh, your ever, your economical sh- Everest. <laughs> so, uh, it did, it did not work out. Um, that's it, a bummer, man. Yeah. And like, you know, we put like probably close to a grand worth of promotion behind that. And, um, you know, worked a lot with our partner stores and like they promoted the hell out of it and like, you know, had mad Facebook likes, but did not convert into, into revenue. And so, um, the thing that's cool about our business, I, I guess it's cool. Maybe it kind of sucks sometimes is that a lot of our cost is fixed and it's upfront. It's, um, vehicle maintenance. Um, what I'm saying is it's not variable based on mileage. And so it's like vehicle maintenance is, is, roughly about time it's not really about miles on these kind of vehicles um it's facility rent it's uh office staff you know it's salaries and so for us to experiment above uh uh you know what our fixed costs are there's really not much risk it's 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 like the promotional cost the sort of driver hourly and the fuel cost uh and so we try to be ambitious we try to like put it out there um because we have to have a, a minimum quantity of sold tour tickets every month uh, and if we don't hit that we don't cover our fixed and like you got a bad month um and really bad month really bad month so um with our kind of business it benefits us to try to put as much out there as possible um with still keeping like the quality really high um and seeing what works and then whatever does work like scale the hell out of that like just like put up a ton of quantity see where the bottom is like you know, what's the max number of people that want to buy into this thing uh, and then dial the capacity back, like in lieu of being able to hire like market researcher, like, you know, really smart types, we'd use experimentation. Like yeah. that's the cheapest thing we've got is just to experiment with it. That is a cool thing about technology just allows so much more access to people in so many more different ways and really gives them a lot of different ways to vote with their money for sure. Even 10 years ago that you could have done some of this, but not most of it. Right. And you know, like, you know, a billboard is like, oh, man. it's like 3,500 bucks, 4,500 bucks a month, you know, depending on where it's at. You've got the digital ones, which is a total racket. You know, it shows for like eight seconds and you're still paying like two grand a month or whatever. Skip out on the digital billboard. Never, ever. Um, instead with, with social media marketing, you're going to people on a device that they can immediately, you know, become your customer on. Like it's just a couple clicks away, PayPal login, they've bought, you know, it's not like they have to see a thing and then like write it down on their notepad of all the cool shit they've seen on billboards that day, uh, which nobody has, uh, and then go and convert. Um, and like we, I'd say we spend as much as you would spend on like a billboard or two, but we target like exactly who our customer is, you know? Um, it's like, Detroit within 50 miles and it's ages like 21 to 55, you know, like you just pick your demo right there. Um, and, and this is through Facebook. Yeah, mostly? it's through Facebook ads. Yeah. Okay. I'd say 90% of our ad spend is yeah. through Facebook. Um, small bit through Twitter, a uh, small bit through Instagram. Um, and then, uh, you know, some like just paper and ink stuff, uh, out in the, in the default world. Um, 
and it's uh you know it's far more effective um so so yeah so it's just and you can see like you put in x number of dollars you get x number back and so um there's it's nice to be able to predict that right totally yeah and there's a ceiling to it of course um you can't you know can't put a million bucks in and get 10 back like it just it just won't there's not enough of a marketplace for that um but like our our business i'd argue is the one it's in tourism um and you're seeing that increase greatly and look at like hotel capacities and and such right now like it's it's really jammed up you know i know we might actually have more hotels now heading yeah. that direction yeah so how many buses do you have now how many employees do you have now we are 10 buses um we are uh five people in the office um this is actually really Im- really i was gonna say impressive but impressive in like a like uh an awe-inspiring way we had a office staff of like i think 10 just recently and um you know, we found that the sort of volumes that we had to sustain to keep that office going was really extremely difficult. Um, and so we made that mistake of, well, I'm going to hire that. We don't have the revenues for this person yet, but I'm going to hire them because their existence will cause greater revenues. I did that too. Uh, that shit does not work. It does not work. No. Because then, then you're like, you're, you're chasing your tail trying to make the revenue just to get to break even. Um, and so one, one of the, my favorite phrases that I've learned the hardest way is only hire when it hurts. Like you can only hire when oh, you've got good. so much business. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Only hire when it only hurts. Only hire when it hurts. You cannot like preemptively hire because there's so many things, the marketplace, your customers, seasonality, uh, your own like sort of infrastructure that like, even if that person brought in that it raised revenue relative to their expense, um, you you might not be able to fulfill that and so there's like 10 possible ways to screw it up you know you only hire when you're when you're growing up um because it's also really hard to go to someone and say like you've been a tremendous individual you've done a lot of work you've you know, put in late nights like you've like busted your ass uh but you also don't have a job anymore <laughs> and it's no fault of your own sorry sorry dude um took the sickle to the staff yeah half. yeah so um you know well what what we really did was uh, we looked in like a person would have like a very sort of like simple straight objective, which is great in like a giant company where like your your whole job is to like check the Facebook messages. You know, um, that's a crappy example, but like you know that sort of like infinite specialization is well suited for like a five hundred person company. Um, for ours though, uh, you know, you might only need to spend an hour or two a week total checking the Facebook messages. Again, crappy example, but um, you don't need a whole person for that. So um, we found that we could distribute the workload um, and put systems in place and things like Basecamp, like I'm a big fan of Basecamp, um, to uh, make sure that all these little tiny things get taken care of, but it doesn't have to be one person's sole role to take care of the the minutia. You know, we can kind of distribute the minutia. Um, and so Basecamp is tremendously good. Um, we use the hell out of Slack. Slack has become like the bread and butter of our company is totally free. Um, when they start charging for that, we are so screwed because like uh, <laughs> all they, your knowledge and conversation yeah, there yeah. gone, locked up. Yeah. Um, like we had that experience. Uh, we use a CRM called Streak, um, which is like pipeline management and like deal flow. Uh, and it's really, really good. And what's so good about it is that it totally lives in your Gmail. 
And so um, there's an app for it, but you know, inside of your Gmail pane, like as a Chrome plugin, you can see your interaction with that customer, where they're at in the flow, you know, how much their their sort of like deal value is worth. Like it's all like tremendous stuff. Wow. But we had like we had like eight users on there, uh, and then like it was free. And then one day they're like, it's not free anymore. It's you know. $25 $25 a person or like 45 if you want like all the features you're using. And so we went from like $0 to like hundreds of dollars. Uh, and that hurt, you know? So like it, when you're investing in a system, like if it's in beta mode or whatever, like be prepared for them to like stick it to you. Cause like, they're not just in it for fun. No, know? no. They want to make money as well. I'm sure. Right. Which totally their prerogative. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Just maybe not a great business plan on your part, right? Mm-hmm. I love Basecamp too. I love Basecamp. I love Did Basecamp. you try the the Basecamp three? Have you upgraded? No, I have not. It's so much better. I have not used Basecamp in three or four years since my my last business failed. Oh, dude, Basecamp has. I'm sure it's even better now. I wish I had a referral code to be saying to everyone right now, like, "Oh, use code Andy one two three. Hey, <laughs> if you go get one, I'll put I'll put it in the show notes. I, I wouldn't mind making, making you some money. Just email me, send it to me over Facebook. Done. Get some yeah. free months. Hell yeah! Why not? Um, well, and and I That's really a good way for people to help you out too if they're going to use it and yeah, it helps you out. Why not? If they're already spending on it, yeah. Um, the thing that I'll argue that that tools like Basecamp help you do, um, is that like. There will be little tiny things like here's a great example. Um, I've got the PayPal login, you know, as as the owner, like I'm the I'm the one that like runs the PayPal. I just don't want that responsibility to be in other people's hands. Guy will want a refund on a tour. He like calls the he calls the main number. He's like, hey, you know, my dog died. I can't go on that tour. Um, can you give me a refund? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. I got to go log in, refund this dude. It's no problem. It takes two seconds. But there's no like pile of refunds to give. There's no like system in place for like giving refunds. And so if someone like texts me, hey, this guy called, he needs a refund. I'm like, oh, okay. That is getting forgotten about so hard. Oh, yeah. Like it's just not happening. And, like three weeks go by and this guy calls and he's like, uh, where's my refund, dude? And like, we're totally in the wrong. But you're like, well, but but look, like I don't have, I don't have like a system. They don't give a shit. No. Like they're your customer. <laughs> um, so what Basecamp's cool for is it catches all that stuff that is like hugely important but doesn't happen often enough that you have like a, a written system for. And so you like tag who's responsible for it, what date it's due by, what it is, any kind of like links or supporting stuff. And it's done. And it's like 20 bucks for like five projects or whatever. And, you know, in a project, you can have a billion things. And so um, I really like, as someone who's like against like tabbed folders and like organization and sanity, uh, Basecamp, like, helps me sleep at night. You have that like three in the morning, like, oh shit, I got to like pay the water bill. Like thought you just like tag it to yourself in base camp. You're done. So I'm, I'm really into that for like total, like, and it, it helps us achieve more. Like it helps us like as a company, we can like quote unquote hit above our weight class. Uh, because instead of having like an accounts receivable person, we've got like a list in base camp. And like when it gets full up, someone takes care of it, you know? So I am a huge fan of software and mm. apps and once once I accepted that everybody can do everything better than me for the most part <laughs> yes and that machines can do everything better than everybody mm-hmm. all the next step is just trusting the software right mm-hmm. put the right stuff in the software and do it yep and you don't have to think about it it's done for you the flip side of that garbage in garbage out that's true so we you know before would like load up basecamp with like a billion things like to do item Fix revenue this year to do item. Put thirty new tours up on the calendar. Yeah, and it's like it's never going to happen. No. And so you also need to like 
get some rigor as far as like how you're using things. And um, I also think that like 99.9% of things in business goes back to training, like both either getting myself trained on like how to be not a dumbass um, or training staff on like how specifically you want something done. Um, and when you're like rocking and rolling and like you're running and gunning or whatever other cool entrepreneur phrase you want to use, it's like on a t-shirt, um, <laughs> you, uh, you know, training falls way down the list. You're just like, hey, dude, like, here's like the login for this and like, figure you know, just out. like figure it out. There's like some FAQs, you know, um, but there's probably a hundred ways to use it. And there's like one right way for your business to use that thing. Um, and so I always try to slow down and like train and like give people time to, to get on to something. And like you're going to feel like, you know, especially if you're like replacing someone. So we had like a tremendous employee leave. She took an opportunity in Costa Rica. Can't blame her. It's dope. Um, but she had to train her replacement. And you know, they had like two or three days together and I'm like, so have you seen everything? He's like, yeah, I've seen all the systems. And I was like, cool. Like you ready to like be the person now? He's like, um, uh, he's like, I would, but like, I really need to like learn this stuff better. And so as a tiny little business, like paying two people to do one job that is like super stressful, but it's also very valuable for that new person coming on and they're absorbing stuff that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. And they're also like, being able to ask questions about stuff that training never covered um, and different things are coming up. So um, I just, I've always been rewarded by investing in training and like giving people space to do things. You also, you know, you've got to like set deadlines, but, but training is, is really like how we've gotten all of the good things that we've gotten. And also lack of training is how almost every screw up has ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also learned the hard way that I'm not the person who should train too. Right. You know, right. there are way people are way better at that, and when I started having those people do it, th- things got a lot better. Totally, know what you're good at. I, I suck at that stuff. I'm not the right person for it. Teach you, just fucking do it. Just like, do it this way. What's wrong with you? Like Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. That's cool, bro. It's cool. Yeah, I'm not the Zen master, so um, like I'll like try to show somebody something and it won't go so well. And you know, you need someone who's like really very patient, um, and also like it's way more helpful to have the outgoing salesperson train the new salesperson. You know, like I have like a working understanding of how the system works, um, but they understand all like the minutia and whatever. Um, and so if you have someone like on their way out, if you can uh, try to work on some kind of training or like knowledge transfer thing, it's not always possible, especially if someone's like leaving quickly or, uh, you know, not at their own volition. Um, but <laughs> to put it nicely, uh, a friend of mine the other day used the word dismissed rather than fired, um, bag, which sounds, son. which sounds Pack so much nicer. Dismissed. Like it just sounds, it just sounds like class is out, you know, oh, you're dismissed. I prefer to be fired. Dismissed just sounds like fired. Yeah. <laughs> you like fired. axed. Get, you're done. Oh. Need the Dr. Evil like floor that dismissed opens. is just like, it's just yeah, flut- flutter. You're not into worth, the, into you're the, not the, worth the time. That is a nicer way to say it. It though. is so much nicer. So what is the future of the Detroit bus company look like? And by future, I mean just 2016. Mars. That's M-A-R-S. Uh, Buzz Aldrin on the... Buzz Aldrin. You get the first ticket. Yeah. You should. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. When he punched that uh, uh, moon uh, skeptic or moon conspiracy (laughs) theorist right in the face... Oh my God. Love it. Oh my God. Eat it. A plus. Have a sandwich. A knuckle sandwich. No, the the plan, like I said, uh, we're going to be announcing um, pretty soon the one for one model. Uh, you know, one for one is trademarked, and we were going to call it ride for ride anyway. Uh, I, I think that really encapsulates like what we're about and what we um, uh, 
what we want to grow. Like we want our youth transit services to be like filling every need. You know, our our big hairy goal over the next five years is every kid in Detroit getting a ride where they want to go. That is a big hairy goal. Thirty thousand uh, kids um, in the city of Detroit uh, don't have access to transit services at all. So, um, and the other kids that do have access to it, that means like they live within a mile of a bus route. So, like. It's not so good, you know. Yeah, it's pretty loose. Yeah, access. yeah. That sounds like some political access. It totally is. Somebody's like, "Well, if we just said a mile, it'd be mm-hmm. way better number." If we said a mile and a half, a hundred percent of people have access. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some bean counter somewhere. But then you got a ten-year-old like walking through the snow, like uh, you know, over mattresses and shit to get to like his D dot bus. A terrible neighborhood. Right. Exactly. We just did a demo of a bus route over in Cody Rouge, and uh you know, it's like a time study. So you like drive around in a circle and you like wrote down on how long it takes you to get to different spots. And I was annotating on my map, like uh, road surface, non-existent um, <laughs> mattress in road, you know, must clear debris. And like, I was like zigzagging around like this, like tremendous garbage and stuff. And you're like, not only does this stuff prohibit transit from working well here, but also like it shows how tremendously needed the very transit that can't happen here is like, you know, you cannot have middle schoolers walking no. over piles of garbage and yeah. stuff and like stray dogs and, you know, and just like all the worst stuff. Um, and there's tremendous youth violence that happens like right in proximity to the schools. Um, you know, something extremely terrible just happened to a 15 year old girl last end of last school year um, right in front of her school. There's a burned out house right across the street. Guy dragged her into the house, you know. Um, and so trying to provide a transit network where the kids come out of the school and right onto a vehicle that's expecting them, um, is just a huge difference from what the reality is right now. So, um, so yeah, so we want to grow our youth transit services, which means growing the tours and charters to try to, um, grow that. Um, we will have ways that people can support it if they just want to kick in bucks, um, Anyway, yeah, have that link, send it to me and yeah. I'll put it in the show notes, even if it's several weeks or months later. It'll oh, I'll get that done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you believe you me. Yeah. Um, that way you guys can go donate if you'd like. Well, and we had a, we had a, uh, an Indiegogo, um, where we tried to raise $90,000 to, to finish the school year last year. Um, our grants shortfall, uh, and we got a call from the Indiegogo people and they were like, Hey, you need to step that goal down to like 20,000 because we don't see people supporting child-based causes at all. Um, and I, we know you have a huge fan base. We know you made a great video. Minefield hooked us up with a beautiful video that they spent like $30,000 developing wow. um, in staff time and equipment and all that. Uh, beautiful video. And uh, they were like, we just don't see support for kid. People don't do kid stuff and homeless people stuff. They just don't do it. You know, they want to buy like USB rechargeable Bluetooth headset flashlight, you know, Hitachi magic wands. They don't want to like do the, yeah. Fuck the kids. Fuck the kids. So um, it makes you feel good, right? Yeah. So, and I think that people have a, um, a sort of like, uh, overload towards like charitable causes. Like how often do you see that? Like Sarah McLaughlin, like, you know, dying puppy commercial on TV. Like you can only like feel guilty for that. Like so many times before, like it feels like, you know, it feels like, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you want for me? <laughs> Money. <laughs> and so, uh, so I don't blame them, but, but we, we, so we aimed for 20 and we raised 30 and I'm guessing like at least a couple people on this podcast are, um, 
donor to that because we had a couple large donations come in from local Detroit business people. Um, you know, really, really, really stoked on that. Like a couple like thousand dollar donations, um, which is like tremendously generous. So um, it's not to say that like the public isn't supporting this project. Um, it's just like there's there's only so much that you can do to raise money in sort of like a traditional nonprofit raising sense when you're dealing with such a massive problem that people don't see like the the end of the tunnel. They don't see like the what, how it's fixed, you know? They just see it as kind of like an endless hole. And so we're trying to paint a picture in which there's an end goal and that end goal is with things being solved. Yeah, there's a fair amount of cynicism and it's earned, I would say especially in Detroit, but I would say yeah. worldwide, right? There yeah. are a lot of bad people who use causes mm-hmm. for their own gains and or they might not see it as a problem that's not solved long-term. What, what's the point of this? What's the yeah, point of totally. that? Um, I thought you did a good job setting yourself apart from those kind of people, and I guess that's about all you can do, right? Is yeah. Do your best you can to set yourself apart from them. And yeah, we're what trying. What can you do? I mean... I mean, and, and our, our, the thing we're providing is really super direct too. like, you see the buses out like every day, picking up and dropping off kids. It's like, if you're interested in like what kind of effect it has on the, it's like come down to Southwest Detroit or Cody Rouge, any school day, gladly show you, you want to be a, a conductor on the bus. Here's your clipboard. Yeah. Um, whereas like certain like super big, like cancer, uh, causes and like AIDS awareness causes, like I think the, the deliverable is far more nebulous, probably super important and like research very crucial um but people are are concerned about like what the administrative overhead is um how much of that goes back into marketing to raise more dollars um you know i want to know like a lot how many dollars is going towards like homeboy in a lab coat like figuring out serums and stuff and i think it's far less and i think a lot of people agree that it's far less than we want it to be um but those organizations need to market to raise that 20% that goes to the cause. And, you know, anyway, so it's kind of this self-reinforcing cycle that it's such an incredibly competitive space that you need to, you know, have everyone at the Super Bowl wearing pink um, <laughs> just to raise, you Just know, to get close. Yeah, just to raise this, this. So we get into this like loop where it's like, well, I don't want to give because the admin cost is so high. Well, like, well, they need the admin cost because they need all these people to write, write all these grants all day. Um I don't know what the answer is. Is the answer Bernie Sanders? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I hope the answer is, is more like, I like transparency. Yeah. When you said transparency, I, of course I'm crazy. Yeah. I, I could never do this. So, and I, and I, I never would, I don't think, but I'm the kind of guy that like to wear a video camera all the time, 24 hours For a day, sure. seven days a week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, that's multiple lawsuits, multiple things. <laughs> I would just like to be able to go back and rewind and be like, See, see, all right. I was an idiot, not uh-huh. evil or something uh-huh. like that. Just or, dumb, or hold somebody accountable. Just to regular what they said, old dumb, or they did. I think transparency. The Jeremy body cam. Yes, <laughs> and it would be entertaining, and a lot of it, yes, would be embarrassing. You know, yeah, you'd find out the porn I like to masturbate to, and not all. You know, the, these would not be good things. I wouldn't release them to everybody. But There'd be a lot of cute dog videos, right? You'd absolutely be covered in pitbulls. Oh so. yeah, always, always dogs. I think the transparency. Technology and transparency, I think, will help that a lot. Yeah. And so one of the things that we want to do is um, on the nonprofit side, the Youth Transit Alliance, is have the bank account live updated to the website. I've never seen a nonprofit do that. Damn. I would love if the second we bought some diesel fuel, it was like, bing, like second a donation comes in. It's like, Jeremy Burgess, 
$50,000 donation. Bing. Like it, it shows it right there. Um, just plant the seed, you know, <laughs> Take, do that, do with that what you want. Doesn't hurt. Always be, always be closing, man. Yeah. ABC. Always. That's an yeah. opportunity. Grand that kind of transparency, that kind of transparency, I think would work. I think so. And I don't see any reason not to like, uh, as long as some hacker isn't like calling into our bank and they're like, so what's your last deposit amount? And he's like, um, well, it is yeah. $530. You're like, oh shit. Like you just gave him the keys. Yeah. There are probably a few, uh, people way smarter than us would have to be like, wait a second. Maybe, yeah. maybe if we rounded the amounts so that it's like, you know, instead of five thirty-five, twelve, it's like just five thirty-five. I don't know. Like there are ways to do that and not screw it up. Um, but, uh, but I would really like to, um, to use the power of the net and, and say to people like, here it is like bear, like here it is totally. Um, we're going to make the GPS trackers on our buses public. So, um, so for customer service, people will know where the buses are and they're like, yo, it's approaching. Cool. Um, but also like, you'll be able to see the youth transit buses, like little yellow icons on a map going around every day. Um, and you know, you funding that makes that go further. What's you know? better than the evidence. You right. Know? It's like the Uber. Well, this technology wise too speaking mm-hmm. of which this is really what makes i'm holding for those listening i'm holding up a smartphone i was gonna say yeah <laughs> and on the camera so the smartphone is really kind of what makes that's the second half of the detroit bus company right? right what technology did you bring to solving these urban transit problems yeah so um you know from a technology standpoint like from people like coding stuff and launching new startups and whatever super boring from a transit perspective and trying to like change the game as far as like getting around on a shared vehicle transformative. Um, so we started with, um, an app called glimpse and glimpse is something that, uh, helps you, uh, show, you know, someone when you're on the way, like how long it is till you're going to be there. Um, if your wife doesn't trust you, you can like share like, no, really (laughs) I'm picking up the Chinese food, honey. Like, don't worry about it. It shows you're like, you know, starving Marvin's. Yeah. Um, one of many on Michigan Avenue, you know, it's driving from like Corktown to Dearborn. You're like, this is all the street lighting. No, 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 (laughs) no veto. Um, so, uh, uh, we, we would never get the glitter out of the buses. No, no, stuck forever. No. Um, smell too. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Like rats and pizza disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Just just failure to launch. Smells like failure to launch. Um, so we, uh, uh, I've completely lost my track of th- train of thought. Um, glimpse, glimpse. So you would uh, uh, be able to see, you know, somebody coming your way. With this, we shared it to like a uh, shared it to ourselves. Grab the link, um, post the link on the website, and so um, you know as many people as as it, as you want can view the link at the same time. Um, and so we took a free service. It's a little arduous to like handle the links and make sure they're updated uh, every night. Um, but it gave us like a huge advantage that people could see where our buses were at. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so uh, uh, we also like handle customer support through Twitter. It's like you pissed off at us, tweet it at Detroit bus and somebody, you know, every, every, you know, half an hour would be like, Hey, like where's the bus at? And someone would tweet them back like right away. Like someone would be on the bus watching the tweeter twatter um, we also had uh, Bluetooth headsets that all the conductors wore. And so if a phone call came into the main number, you'd catch a conductor. So you don't need to call like someone in an office and they're like, hold on, let me connect you and find, figure it out. You got like the dude on the ground right away. And so the, like my tech stack there is like Glimpse, Twitter, phone booth. Like that's it. Um, you know, total commitment. Uh, 
It's 20 bucks a month per phone on phone booth, like nothing. Um, and our customer service levels like through the roof. And that was day one. That was like May 5th, 2012. That's all the buses had that. And didn't cost hardly anything. Didn't cost hardly no. anything. No. Um, was it a totally super integrated solution called bus master that like had all these things built into one comprehensive platform? Like no way. That's part two. That's part two. <laughs> there was a lot of like pain in the ass part of it. You know, you got to like share your Twitter login to your conductors and make sure that they like have all the, knowledge and how to run twitter that they log out at the end of the shift so they're not like accidentally tweeting out of that twitter handle oh, you know yeah, that could be bad little things um so you have like a spirit airlines like like mistake on your no delta had that twitter picture go out that was yes. extremely yeah. extremely unacceptable There's been a lot of oops yeah moments right yeah whoopsie doodle um so you got to avoid those. I like um, everybody gets mad about that. Like they've never done that before. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't believe you. Delete, 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 delete. Not log out of your account. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, what, one of one of my roommates uh, left his laptop open um, a couple years ago, uh, and another roommate changed his interested in on Facebook from women to men, um, <laughs> and it was that way for about a year. <laughs> for about a year. I can't get any dates. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I've These just men, got all dudes on Tinder. Yeah, they keep hitting on me. <laughs> um, no. He found it out about a year later and they're still not on speaking terms. So oh, that is hilarious. So log out, dude. That's an epic win right <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> but whose fault was it, right? Yeah. yeah. Log yeah. out. Say la vie. Log out. Mm-hmm. Technology-wise, I was amazed by that. Uh, I think at the time when you first started doing it, you are doing a, a, just a ton of bars back and forth between... Um, yeah. Ferndale and downtown Detroit. Yeah. And just see where the bus is at. Call in. You did it for a while there. I think call in will be there within five minutes or something along these certain roads or yeah, something. Yeah. So the, the issue that we had was um, in the wintertime, folks didn't want to get to the route. And like, I don't blame them. Um, it was also like 2012 Detroit. So downtown is way different. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we had like a zone downtown and you would call, text, tweet, uh, and the bus would come scoop you. Um, this is pre Uber, you know, again, like maybe we're like a little bit too early on certain things, which is like just as bad as being too late. Um, and what ate us up with that one was that we would have like one or two people, um, requesting the bus. And like, that was what we set up for our customers to do. Like that we, they weren't breaking any rules. It just, the terms of engagement that we had set up, set us up for, uh, unsuccess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you knew you'd have this 44 passenger bus come and pick up two people, $5 a piece and bring them across downtown. Um, it takes 20 minutes. There's just no way to make that work. It doesn't even cover the diesel. Um, and so, uh, you know, we only succeeded when we had larger groups hail the bus. Um, and so we learned that with that, the route is what makes the most sense um, for like a, a party loop downtown. And so um, you're actually also going to see the return of the party loop um, Saturdays. Uh, and we're we're aiming for every Saturday, uh, and it's ride as much as you want. Um, I think it's gonna be twenty bucks, uh, and so from like eight p.m. until two a.m. nonstop. DJs on the buses. Yeah, like, this is excellent if you want to hang out downtown, yeah, party, have a good time, not drive. Exactly, very so, important, not drive. You stick your car in the Z deck or whatever, yeah. and you just hit it, um, and uh, or Uber back, or you know, we're trying to. Like Uber is still a private car service, even if you're getting picked up in a Toyota, you know, Toyota Corolla, it's still a private car service. So like, there's still a threshold of cost there. It's going to be, you know, ten to twenty dollars 
um, especially like during surge, you know, you might be 30, 40 bucks. And so if we can stay ahead of like the cost of like two Uber rides and you can ride and hop around as much as you want, um, I think it's a good value for people. I think that's like that. You can look at that and go like, that's a pretty good deal. Um, and that's, that's really like the core tenant of what I've learned in small business is that you can have like the dopest Instagram and people can love you and like, you know, really think your company's great. But if you don't provide a value, if people don't, if people look at your offering and go like, well, like that's only like marginally better or like, you know, that's marginally worse than the market alternative. Um, they, they, they can't buy what you're offering. You know, they would be idiots to, to buy what you're offering. And, and except in like rare, rare circumstances where someone's trying to sell a t-shirt for $80 um, and their market, position and their branding carries them you know um i think pretty rare someone said that there was a john vervato tee for 80 dollars um and it's like cool dude like if you're digging those the quicken knights want those things have at it um but you know that's it's there's not value there and so i don't think they're selling millions of those you know no they're probably selling like dozens here in the detroit store um and that's their business model like cool man like I dig it. I I would love to be able to push t-shirts for 80 bucks. Um, but if you want to, to really like establish something that, that has legs, um, and doesn't need a billion dollars of marketing cost, you have to have a value proposition. So all your ideas when you're like, okay, we're going to give this a shot. How many ideas to successes do you think? Uh, I think it's beers to successes. Beers to successes. (laughs) (laughs) How many beers to success? Uh, 12. 12. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sad when you look at the ABV on the beer before you look at like what kind of beer it is for your selection. <laughs> like that's how over a batch I'm like, what is the ABV of that? Yeah. Um, no, um, I think that uh, we've been really lucky that everything, aside from like a couple tours, every business concept we've put on the road has been, pun entirely intended, has been successful. Meaning, um, you know, Paper Street, we were looking at like a really clear need. And, you know, I got into it really quickly out of duress. But I went, okay, I need folks to fill these offices. What's valuable? But small businesses are looking for space. Let's put that out to the world. Craigslist ad, low barred entry, got folks signed up. Thunderdrome, you know, the big racing series we oh, yeah, ran on too. Detroit's East Side, abandoned racetrack, underutilized assets, super cool. Um, we made up the difference in in the facility's health and its needed health with just sweat equity, just like volunteer time. I spent like two months straight on a bobcat making that one work, you know? That was a big um, one. That was awesome. And I'm hoping to bring that event back. It also takes like three months of planning to put one of those on. So like tremendous opportunity cost there. Um but then, uh, you know, Thunderdrome, like put it out there, minimal expense up front, some fans did another one, more fans, you know, increased the size a little bit. Like that was very like, we increased it a little bit at a time and it grew and grew and grew very organically. Um, Detroit Bus Company, um, you know, transit is obviously a gigantic need. Um, and with that, it's not that, you know, customers, you have plenty of customers, you just need to be able to deliver the service at a price point that is approachable with a a quality level that's that's higher than what's available and hopefully very high. Um, and so like every one of these things, like 
we've either found uh, a tremendous opportunity that it's something that isn't very common, like an abandoned racetrack or, um, uh, you know, a landlord that's willing to take a risk on you um, or a big marketplace need like transit or, um, you know, with uh, with eight and sand, the big building in Hamtramck that we've got now where Foling Warehouse is a tenant, um, you know, industrial space and, and usable like um, buildings in Detroit are actually becoming very scarce. Like either it's like very expensive or it doesn't have a roof. Uh, and so, yeah, you've or seen both those. sometimes. Or both. Yeah, exactly. It's on, it's on grand river. Yeah. Lots on grand river, buddy. Brush park. It's like a silhouette of bricks, you know, uh, $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, don't, even, don't even get me started about brush. Park. Nicole Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just throw money away and call it a success. It is yeah. beautiful though. It is beautiful. It's got a slate roof. The roof is in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> in pieces. It's all yours. Yeah. Get enjoy, a good deal. Enjoy DIY. Yeah. Um, so, um, so you asked how many, I, that was a long answer to how many ideas to, to successes. Yeah. Um, I'll say, hundreds of ideas like i have gone to all my friends and been like hey, here's what here's what we're doing um but as far as like what we put on the road very 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 careful about what i actually choose to invest time and money into um now i got lucky that the first couple ones that i was just like screw it let's do it um worked out um now that i've like got something to lose uh and <laughs> hopefully know a little bit more about like how things work um you know, before, if I started a business and it sucked, like the worst thing that could happen is like I end up in mom's basement, yeah. you know, like mom's basement is like, and I'm, I'm privileged for that. Like mom's basement is like as bad as it gets. Um, now though, like we've got, you know, 30 or so people relying on us for their paychecks every two weeks. Um, we've got customers, we've got kids who are looking to get where they got to go on us. Um, so it's no longer just me experimenting with my own weird bullshit. It's, it's, there's, there's, too much at stake now and so um you know with the busco we've really like zoomed in on core business this sounds like super lame to say but we've focused on um like exactly what it is we're offering and how we offer it and to make it totally stellar um and we've also um you know killed some ancillary stuff like we were building the airport route um you know the airport route would be a tremendous asset for this city like getting from the airport to downtown totally sucks does um it's 40 to 45 dollars for an uber or a yellow cab um you know it's 80 bucks for 80 bucks plus for a metro car that's extraordinarily expensive um that's what i do i always i always get like a lincoln or something yeah i just man it's terrifying i don't it's you can't so order sucks. a cab here it sucks what, what bus am i gonna take Which exactly the I'm smart stuck. bus takes like two and a half hours to do that stretch and like yeah. it only runs a couple times a day so um you know that was one where we looked at there's a tremendous marketplace need um but there is a sort of aggressive um regulatory environment with that like trying to limit the amount of transit services there are based on the fees you know they don't want it they want parking and they want revenues um and their answer is well you know anybody can come pick up at the airport you just pay the fee it's like well the fee is exorbitant you know um and so they don't want that competition um, I get it. You know, it's just, it's just usually governmental agencies exist for the benefit of the people, not for their vendors. Yes. Uh, you know, they cut deals with their vendors in a way that 
provides the greatest experience for their constituency, not for their vendors. <laughs> Speaking of which, nice segue into the fact that you are on a few, I don't know, boards or yeah. interest groups. So what, what are you a part of? I know. Uh, yeah. So um, I got appointed to the Vehicle for Hire Commission um, uh, by Mayor Mike Duggan. So that what that is, is it's trying to reform uh, the taxis, um, limos, uh, van commuter services, basically any sort of, uh, livery services in the city of Detroit. Um, taxi rates have not been updated in a very, very long time. And so it is tremendously difficult to operate a taxi in the city with how little these rates are. Um, and you would think, well, well, you can't raise rates. Like this is one of the poorest cities in the country and people rely on taxis to get where they're going. Well, the rates haven't been updated in, I think the last rate increase was over 15 years ago and it was like a last minute sort of emergency rate increase. Um, before that, it was 91. And so, um, and the the last increase was just a marginal one. All this is to say is that you have very few taxis, yellow taxis, uh, participating in the marketplace. Um the ones that are there are terrible. They're very old terrible. cars. They don't terrible. show up. They stink. The guys are mean. Honk if, their horn all the time. My neighbors use them all the time. I hate them. I hate them. If we increase the taxi rates to today's market standard, we then will have a greater quantity of taxis in the market. You'll have more. Um, and then with that rate increase, we're also able to ask for things like um, a maximum vehicle year, uh, age, uh, a certain type of vehicle, uh, we can mandate, um, you know, hybrids or, uh, uh, central dispatch requirement. Um, there's a lot of different things that the taxi companies are willing to trade for in requirements to up their quality level to that of other major cities in trade for a rate increase. So it's, it's all negotiation. Is an Uber just going to murder these people? Well, so you'd think that rightfully so I would say you'd think that, but, um, a lot of folks still rely on taxis for their daily transportation um, because they're unbanked. And so Uber, you need to have a credit card or a PayPal account That's to use. True, yeah. um, and so the vast majority of the folks in the neighborhoods in Detroit are unbanked um, for a billion reasons. They either don't trust the banking system, probably rightfully so. You know, uh, We're getting Goldman Sachs right up in the face. Um, you know, Black, black oh, yeah. Water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blackstone. No, that, that government um, bank cooperation is yep. deadly yep. just absolutely deadly and so if you've got if you're if you're you know endangered financially the last thing you're going to do is take the last few dollars you've got and put it in a bank and lock it up with all these fees and i can only touch it from nine to five monday to friday and oh if i got like a garnishment or something against me like they're just going to hoover it out of my bank account yeah um i had that happen i'm keeping it in the mattress dude yeah. so um so that you get taken off the Uber roll right there because you can't pay cash. Um, and so what do you got? You got the public bus, you got taxis. Um, and so public bus doesn't run frequently enough. You might be late for something. So you're defaulting to taxis pretty regularly. Um, and so uh, a lot of these folks also have like recurring customers every day is the taxi knows to pick up at this house every day. Yeah, I have, um, right across the street, there's a apartment you got complex. It. Honk takes, Fest, they yes, have a honk competition. Yes, yeah. drives me nuts. I'm like the old man. They have cell phones. <laughs> Use your cell phone. My dog's out in the front yard. Don't they, look at my lawn. They have a door slamming competition too. Yeah. Yeah. 
They they do those at two in the morning every day. They get every several day. several. There's yeah. an orange one that comes. There's a yellow one. Totally, that comes. dude. You just yeah, it's how they get to work. So the vehicle vehicle fire commission exists to um try to regulate and improve and maintain a, a minimum quality standard for that. Um, I'm also on the transit advisory commission as a commissioner. So that's the meeting I just came from this morning. Um, and that's with the Detroit department of transportation, trying to improve public bus service in the city. Um, the thing we discussed today was, uh, you know, service quality indicators are way up across the board. Um, you know, it's a long, slow slog. So, you know, now the buses are hitting the schedule that they were supposed to hit. It's a, it's a pretty bad, pretty sparse schedule, but at least now, when there's a time on that schedule, the bus is hitting that schedule. So even That's though it's kind of skinny, yeah. And then um, they bought 80 new buses, 10 of them articulated, 10 of them hybrid. Um, and then also um, starting uh, end of January, uh, Grand River, Gratiot, and Woodward are going 24-hour. Um, and so Woodward, all night, you're going to have a bus every 30 minutes. Uh, Gratiot and Grand River, every 60 minutes. Um, is that totally sufficient? No. Like, we need better bus service than that. But you've got to have incremental improvement. And so it, we're on like a five-year plan, basically, to, to keep things moving forward. Um, and that's just how that's how governmental agencies work. Is it just going to take some time. Don't even get me started. Yeah, I, I know. know. I know. You love big government, huh? Oh, You're a big government guy? Not exactly. <laughs> you it seem just more seems like, like a bury a school bus in the backyard kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, just talk about this taxi commission. I, you know, maybe I don't know enough about it. Somebody was like, let's start a taxi company. Okay, but you can only charge that much. Well, no, fuck you. Go start your own taxi company. I'm going to decide how much I charge. Well, no, actually, you can't. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when you have that kind of attitude, you shouldn't be surprised when you have shitty taxi companies. Totally, totally. Well, the... the Not that there should just... I don't know if the other way is good, right? Like, just get your car, right? You know, but at least Uber, their social pressure, reviews, say that they're... If you want to be a bad person, I don't know if it's foolproof, right? But... Well, so so the there's a few problems with that in that again, like they their cost of doing business is so low because it's all electronic payment, um, and so the driver never handles the money because they're they would never get all the money they're supposed no, to get. No, of course not. Yeah, and so, they're still not getting all the money they're supposed to get. Right, and we so, all know that. So so there's there's a lot of ways that um, the Uber's electronic payment system uh, works brilliantly, but you can't at, at, for a city that regulates something that's like air and water to some people like transit. Um, they can't have it so that it is inaccessible to a large part of the population. So that's why you have these regulations. Um, the taxi industry used to be a way to make a ton of money. And so anywhere there's somewhere, some industry making a lot of money, the government steps in and goes, and I totally sound like a libertarian right now. The, gov the government steps in and goes like, hey, bro, like, I need my Where's cut. Mine? I can put my hand out. But I call them the mob. <laughs> but the, the, the reality there is that any industry that has been around for a long time seems to collect regulation kind of like moss. You know, you think about like the regulation on like the, 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 like shipping industry, like container ships. And you're going back to like maritime, like 1800s, you know, stuff. Like you're talking about like deep, layers. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep rules, you know, Poseidon rules. And so, uh, with the taxi industry, it's been around for so long. Um, and you, you've kind of seen all the contours on how that industry can go poorly and can leave people out. And the streetcars, I'm looking at your photo on the wall right now. The streetcars actually used to almost entirely be private owned. Um, and what you had was, is you had 
streetcar owners building their own housing developments um, way out in the sticks, and that contributed massively to our sprawl. And a fare within the city would be X number of dollars. But hey, if you're going out to this housing development, it's free, or it's you know it's fifty cents or whatever. Sprawl is only a problem with property tax, though. That's not so much a problem without it. Well, the, the sprawl sprawl's issue, as far as as we talked about before with transit city services, you know, you're offering very little uh, density of services because you've got such a large area with such a small population. Um, environmental concerns, you know, there, sprawl's sprawl's got some drawbacks. Um, the problem there, though, was that you had you had shuttle com- or uh, uh, railway companies that were looking to get people out of these suburbs, but they only wanted to transport people that were able to buy into their housing developments. And so the old myth of the auto companies buying up the streetcar lines and ripping them up and turning them into Cadillacs, total myth. The, the private industry streetcar lines actually ate themselves. Yeah, There's good. a really good story on it. That's, that's what I want. Totally ate up themselves um, and put themselves out of business. And that's Perfect. why we went and, and tarred over all the rail lines uh, that we're tearing up now for M1. Um, so, you know, it is a constant struggle. It didn't seem stupid when they did that either. Gas was cheap. We don't know anything about yeah. CO2. Yeah, totally. Pollution, whatever. Totally. This We don't. We literally, no Hubble. No. We're the only thing flying out here. It's just As us. far as we know, this is it. Burn it up. They had no idea. Let looking, gas. It is harsh looking back. You go, you're so stupid. Mm-hmm. You got rid of all that infrastructure. You had no idea, but was yep. there really any way to know? Yep. Yep. It's, yeah, it's, it's almost impossible. And we're yeah. going to find something now. Oh, we're doing yeah. it right now for sure. Well, we're going to find like the next asbestos is yes. like chocolate syrup or something, <laughs> yeah. you know. We're uh, doing it right now for sure. Yeah, there's it. something. And I think that with data and stuff, we like see the ice caps like falling apart. We're like, well, I really kind of like my Chevy Cobalt. Uh, and we're just not able to put that pipe down. So um, we'll see if tech can catch up fast enough to make things not kill us. I don't know. Leading question you don't have to answer. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, leading. Here we go. Uh, how... how how has Detroit's response, government response, been to your idea of your own private public transportation? So, um, private public, you know, like yeah, an oxymoron. Yeah. Right? So there's there's a narrative out there that the city has been difficult. The city actually, like the first month we were open, gave us a city of Detroit award. Um, so I was a, I was given a, an award by city council, you know, and really really well received. I got appointed to these commissions were invited to pretty much every transit roundtable. Um, the city has been extremely helpful. Um, the state, not so much. MDOT um, just isn't equipped for innovation. We'll put it that way. Um, they have some very old rules and stuff around how to regulate um, uh, bus carriers. Um, they're all set up for like your Greyhound style, like intercity transportation because that's the way the marketplace is. And they're set up for like limo carriers, like basically people that want to run like fancy limos. Um, there is no room for a company like ours. And if you make the smallest of mistakes with them, if you, let's see, if you don't, you have to get your vehicles inspected every year. Totally cool. I, I love that. Like, you know, it keeps the crap your carriers out of the game. Vehicles should be safe if they carry 50 people on them. They're like 30,000-pound missiles. Dig it. If you don't call the month before to schedule your inspection, so if you need your inspection in December, you don't call in November, $500 fine. If you pull insurance off a vehicle and you and it, there's a gap of a day or two, even if you've got it off the road, $500 fine. Man. 
And so they just hand these things out like candy. And if you don't pay Are them. Are they funded by the tickets they write? Uh, I probably, yeah. um, I haven't looked into that. It's probably a deficit model like anything, like anything else in the state. Um, and it all comes from Lansing. So they don't give a rat shit about, you know, like what we're trying to do in Detroit. Um, I have gotten the finger from MDOT so often. Well, that's a good um, question. Why? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I kind of have an idea why Lansing is so negative on Detroit. I mean, it's not, but at the same time that to the people who are trying to at least making an effort to solve the problem, whether you agree or not. Yeah. I don't understand why they why they seem so hostile. At least everyone that I've talked to, maybe hostile is not the right word. Cool, unconcerned, yeah, and borderline hostile. Well, like if you've been to Lansing, like you know, there's like a little bit of downtown Lansing's kind of college town, but like where the sort of like government stuff goes on, you're talking like Lansing and Okemo. It's like I ninety six. A Quiznos and a Walmart. It's like <laughs> yeah, there's not much. There. It's not it's not urbanized, and so you don't get into these urban issues. Um, you know, Grand Rapids is is relatively sizable, um, has a couple of its own issues, but is also like pretty far removed from um, the sort of struggles that we've got here in the city. And you've got decision making happening on a state level, um, and as far as like the quantity of folks outside of the Detroit like city Detroit proper, the, the, the vast sort of like consensus is like an Elbricks Patterson one of like, put up the fences, throw in the blankets and corn, you know, and that's a quote, by the way, I'm not saying that. Yeah. For (laughs) for those listening on the the world (laughs) wide web, you may not know the local politics. So Oakland County commissioner has a extremely negative view on Detroit um, and Oakland County is one of the richest uh, counties in yeah. America, and yeah. they don't like the idea of being connected or tied to Detroit at all or funding anything about Detroit or cooperating with Detroit. And their idea of keeping Oakland County nice is just literally put up fences around it. Don't cooperate at all. Um, just be as hostile as you can possibly be to any right. sort of cooperation. I know they held up the Detroit water when they were kind of redoing that whole board shuffle totally yeah and some of that's deserved and some of it's really just kind of like a throwback to some age that never existed right and so he said that he wanted the joe lou's fist on his front lawn you know (laughs) like he's he's like you know batman needs joker right but um you've got decision making happening on a state level and they just see detroit as a lost cause they haven't you know the last they heard about detroit there were like you know uprisings and stuff and like tanks rolling down woodward it's been a while and so they haven't really like been to bronxburger uh, and they haven't like, you know, hung out on the riverfront. And so, um, they've just got a very antiquated view and they don't see the hope in it. They don't see the reason why, um, with probably like, a, a racism appetizer, you know, like a little side dish oh, for of, sure. um, of racism. Some so, percentage of that is, it has to be, it has to be a little bit, yeah. but, um, or maybe a lot of it, but, uh, so I, it, it seems like no individual is directly responsible for the sort of anti-Detroit um, rhetoric on a state level. Yeah, it seems um, to be institutionalized. It's institutionalized, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. We have procedures for fucking your shit up. And there's no one to keep following them. There's no one to point to and like give the finger. It's just like just kind of a it's a team effort. It's like the biggest group project ever. Um, so um, bummer. Uh, but you know we've got some shining rays of hope. We got the RTA, um, which is a regional transit authority that's. Um, uh, the three counties, Detroit and Ann Arbor, um, working collaboratively on what is hopefully going to be bus rapid transit in the region. All right. Um, 
all other major metropolitan areas have a regional transit authority uh, that federal dollars come in. They make things happen as a region and not like as a city base for people outside of the area. You know, it, it's really stupid that Detroit has one bus system and then the suburbs have a different bus system. And these two exchange customers at transfers uh, at the city limits, you know, well, that's certainly institutional. It's like a border town, you know, and on purpose. Right? <laughs> it's like San Diego and Tijuana, you know, it's just like, it's madness. Um, but, uh, but those are the, those are the things that we're unpacking. Like it's like this collective awakening. Do you feel like you're making progress on these? Um, I don't know. Maybe progress is not the right word. Uh, or if you're hearing any, any sort of change coming out since you're part of these boards and you're kind of putting in the, I would say 21st century ideas on yeah. urbanization and cooperation and transportation and technology and customer service and any sort of progress there. Yeah. We're, um, you know, I think a little bit that we, we kind of like spurred as the DBC being this like dumb little company, we kind of spurred the public agency into being like, we should probably have GPS on the buses. Um, so I they, you're right they came that. out with an app and like, I don't know if they noticed us. I, I don't know. I think that was fucking embarrassing. So they came out with an app. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, between now and January 2017, you're going to see um, AVL at the um, at the bus station. So it'll tell you like minutes to next bus. Um, you're going to see they've got cameras on every single bus right now. Um, That's excellent. There were, I think, 28 like violent incidents on Detroit buses in 2013. There were six this year. Um, the transit police have stepped up their game a lot. Um, and so you're seeing like a, a renewed commitment to like customer service and technology. Um, the last big investment in technology was like 15 years ago. And so all the routing and dispatch stuff DDOT has is 15 years old. Um, and, you know, computers in 2000, we were worried about them like fuzzing out when the clock switched over. So uh, things have changed a little bit in 15 years. A little bit. Uh, but they're investing 10 million bucks in tech. So. Um, I think, uh, despite not having the transit system that we need, need, um, we're going to see the existing resources be used a lot better. I'm glad you have the patience to do that. <laughs> Cause I just got up there and rant. Yeah. And another thing, <laughs> another reason why you're out, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Okay. Jeremy. Yeah. I know what you suck at folks. And I would not do well in that situation. <laughs> I'm glad there are people like you cause it needs to happen. I've learned, I've gotten my calm spot. Oh yes. yeah. I'm sure I, Hey, I won't put you on the spot that way. You got work to do, but I'm sure you've had your moments. You're like, oh, what's going on here? Am I in another parallel universe? This sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So by we're, we're an hour and 36 minutes. I don't want to hold you too long, but I have, I have to mm. velodrome. I knew it. Thunderdrome have to do this. This is actually where I met you. I thought you were going to bring up the tiger. No, that's at the end. I'm making oh, people listen oh, the whole way, baby. The two T's. Oh yeah. Oh, the two you got to go all the way to the end to hear oh, that. Boy. Yeah. But because um, I actually met you at mm-hmm. the Velodrome, mm-hmm. and I didn't come to your uh, Thunderdrome event. I was buried in dogs at the time. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't make any of that stuff. But but let's let's talk about that. Yeah. I met you with the Detroit Mower Gang. Yep. Um, when someone, I'm not sure who rediscovered or refound or became part of the public imagination again in Detroit Mm -hmm. on the east side of Detroit where there's a velodrome. Yeah. So, um, my now buddy, Tom Nardone, um, you know, started a thing called the mower gang, uh, to mow parks in the city of Detroit that have been taking care of in a long time. He was like, I got a riding mower. I got some buddies, you know, we like to like go do things. It's a low impact way for us to give back and like, you know, have some fun doing it. Um, he made his million bucks selling plastic dicks on the internet. Uh, he owns vibrators.com, which is awesome. You it know, is. 
he bought it from a concrete vibrator company. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, his whole thing is like organic uh, online retail. So he owns like vibrators.com and like overthehill.com, shoppingprivate.com. Um, you know, he's got a pretty awesome success story in just getting into like internet retail in the 90s, you know. Um, I actually had him on the podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so you heard the story. Well, you heard the story. We're, you're telling it better than he did. He's he's sometimes he's awfully modest. Sometimes I know. I know. Yeah. No, he's and so he's you know shopping private was a million dollar business. Vibrators.com. Hopefully, Tom, you want these things shared to the world, but they're going out now. <laughs> um, Too late, Tom. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, uh, he just started Bullet Safe, which is like a really affordable bulletproof vest company. Um, you know, and unfortunately, fortunately. Um, that's doing really well right now because people have a lot of concerns around like safety from firearms and stuff. So, um, you know, he started that before we got into like a pandemonium. Um, but now he's especially at the right spot. So, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to be able to sell like protection at an affordable price point. Like he's selling safety. So it's not like he's, he's selling the other end of the deal. Um, but, uh, uh, so he found he found the velodrome. Um, I forgot how is a friend told him about it or a blog post or something, but it was super overgrown. Most of it was underground. Um, it had been abandoned twenty years at this point. Yeah. Um, and had trees grown out of it. Um, and so uh, they went and did like a couple hours of mowing, which like barely barely nicked the surface. Yeah, this thing was just bare. <sighs> it was crazy. Like jungle had grown over. Yeah. Yeah. Completely reclaimed. Almost. And so, um, my friend and I, Ben Wadilla, um went out there and took a look and we're like, Oh my God, like this is the coolest thing ever. It's a thousand feet around. Uh, it's like 15 feet tall, uh, on the banks. The banks are 44 degrees. It's like riding on a wall. Um, it was built in 1969. It was unleashed the same weekend that they, we landed on the moon. So it got a little bit eclipsed, you know, in the media, just a little bit. Um, but it was built with volunteer help. You know, it's a totally awesome Detroit, like, doing its own thing story um the dude who built it uh um mike walden he uh trained um a couple gold medal winning olympic women's cyclists on there um bunch of silver medal winners um you know crazy crazy stuff to come out of there he needed his own facility to train and just made it happen um it's never made for motorized vehicles ever 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 um I may or may not have written one. <laughs> well, us too. <laughs> um, and so Ben and I thought this thing was just so cool. And so we got some power tools. Um, we went up to Kilburn's Equipment Rental in uh, Warren. And we were like, hey, we're trying to fix with this park. Can you loan us some equipment? And they were incredibly generous. They lent us tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment rental. Awesome. Bobcats and dingoes and, and you know, all kinds of stuff. And just like... Weekend after weekend after weekend, we were borrowing stuff from them. Um, they're a tremendous company, too. Whenever I got to rent stuff, I always go up there, not just because of this. They're just like the last like locally owned equipment rental joint. You know, Let's give them a good plug. What's their name again? Uh, Kilburn's Equipment Rental. Uh, they're up on um, DeQuinder, just north of 8. Um, Ed and Karen own the joint. There you go, folks. Ed and Karen. Go rent your shit from there. Uh, man lifts and stuff. If you're fixing up buildings, you know, just, they're just super legit. And if you have a problem with something, you know, they, this, they'll handle it. Like I've just, you know, I'm really big into customer service. And when someone nails it, like uh, I cannot be, you know, any happier than if someone totally nails it. So, um, but, uh, but we fixed this thing up. It took us two months. Um, we put up an ad for a little race. We said, hey, mopeds, scooters, pit bikes, go-karts, you name it. Dude, it was crazy. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, it went out and we had about a hundred racers registered in like a week and, um, it got on the cover of the Detroit news. Um, parks and rec who owns it found out about it and sent us a little email like, like, Hey bro, what's <laughs> yeah, going on? That that we were like nothing. Yeah. Um, and then like, well that nothing needs some insurance. Uh, and so then we set off trying to find insurance for that, which seems like I always need fucking insurance. Um, and, uh, found an insurance quote for like 1800 bucks for the day. Uh, and, uh, you know, added a little like racer registration fee and covered that. And then, um, there was some paperwork shuffle and it was like the night before the race and parks, or it was two nights before the race and parks and Rec sent an email like, um, Hey, we received your paperwork too late. Um, you can't hold your race now. Uh, you know, we've notified the Detroit police department, uh, for your information. Uh, have a good day. Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> and so I emailed back like, please God, don't do that. You know, we got people coming from like North Dakota, like it's in the news. Like it's, it's, it's a thing. It's free to go into like, come on. Like we got our insurance. Um, and I was due to go on the radio the next day. And, uh, Craig Folly was like, so how, uh, how's the city been, uh, you know, with you putting this race on? And I like, I could have either been like, they've been great or I could have been like, they, you know, shut us down. We don't have a race. Um, and I chose the former. I said, man, they've been tremendous. They've been working with us, even though it's a really weird kind of race. Um, you know, couldn't be more thankful. Uh, and like a couple hours after the airing, I got an email back and I don't know if she heard the radio show or not. Um, but she was like, uh, you're clear to have your race. Have a good day. And you were like, Whew. the banality of it. Email, Ooh. not a text, not a phone call. Yeah. Just an email. Yeah. But I'll take it. <laughs> Dude, that was that was close, right? That would have been Yeah. Which that would have been embarrassing for We would have been a, we would have done it anyway and gotten arrested. I mean, like you can't I don't know, you just can't give up on that shit. You just like Dude, that was like the Mad Max of races. Mm-hmm. You had all sorts of categories. Everything. We, I thought people were going to die, but everybody had a I good was time. positive somebody's going to die. Every time we did a race like I didn't breathe for like 5 minutes. Yeah. And then it would end and I'd be like, "Oh god, thank you." Well, there's classes. <sighs> and quite frankly, some of those bikes, dude, I, you know what, dude, kudos to everybody who ride one of those on the velodrome with other people. Cause uh-huh. that is not me. Uh huh. They were busting out. Oh man. <laughs> Going like, <laughs> I was like, what categories? Who's going to do this? Is this? Yeah. yeah. That was awesome though. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing. It worked out pretty good. Any more of those in the future coming? <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, we took, um, we took 2015 off. Um, uh, and, uh, I think we're going to be back with it. You know, I can't say that with any certainty, um, but it was one of those rare things that like, I just don't think would happen anywhere else in the world. No. Um, I feel a strong sense of guilt that it doesn't, it isn't around anymore. <laughs> uh, we get a lot of messages, people sending us, uh, like lovely threats. They're Ugh. like, please do it or we'll kill you. Um, <laughs> so polite, you know, There's uh, no reason we can't politely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Intimidate and throw um, people. One of the troubles is that the track needs significant repair and, um, it's difficult to get solicit donations and investment for something that is a city owned asset. Yeah. I so, um, and you need permission, I'm sure you totally do. And, yeah. and to get the permission, you need architectural drawings and like, you know, that little like $5,000 concrete pad becomes like a $50,000 concrete pad when you add in all that, like multiple layers of BS on top. So, um, I would love to make something happen with that facility. You know, it's in, uh, it's in a neighborhood that's still like really far behind as far as, revitalization goes yeah that's at seven and seven an hour drive drive right it's across from the chrysler plant yeah. like 
you know, on the east side. You know, there's like there's like a block club and like a radio patrol group and like people are doing their damnedest to hold the neighborhood together, but it's just a tough tough Touch spot. And go. You Touch know, and go there, yeah. And so, um, that's a cool ass park though. It is a cool park. Durai, the Durai Velodrome, named after Gus Durai, the yeah. boxer. Um, we talked to Gus's uh, granddaughter about it. Um, just a cool spot. Um, it has a big hill that the used to be um, Derby Hill that kids would go sledding on. It used to be a soapbox Derby Hill, which I would love to bring back. Um, I think soapbox Derby in the city would be the greatest. Or the Motor Dude, City. that would be awesome. Oh, my God. Adult and kid soapbox Derby. Yeah, definitely yeah. adult. Mm-hmm. Yep. Were you there when um, Tom had the big bonfire and the Detroit Fire Department showed up and put it out with the fire trucks? No, I yelled at him for that one. I was like, dude, dude, can't do that to me. I I record that. um, (laughs) You go to my YouTube channel. Yeah, we had a a nice bonfire going. Yeah, that didn't last very long. No, no, no. no, no, We showed up and with two of them put out the fire, (laughs) ruined our fun. Tom's like, Jeremy, shut up. Okay, I'll shut up. He was apparently was going to get a big ticket. Uh huh. Keep my mouth shut. And yeah, we're just recording it for the whole internet to hear. Now, yeah. Well, it's years after it happened, and I don't think they can go statute back of limitations, something like that. Right? <laughs> a ticket. So don't have bonfires. Do not do stupid that, people. All right, that was stupid. That was that's because that's an awesome thing. So it's coming back for 2016. The Thunder Drone. Thunder Drone. Um, it is quite possible. It is on the. It is on the more probable side. If people wanted to follow you on that, would be the best place to go. The Facebook Thunderdrome, Thunder D R O M E. Uh, I'll put this in the show notes too, folks. Yeah, Thunderdrome on Facebook. Now, you decided also to buy a house. Did you kind of crowdsource it? Buy a house, the house? in Boston Edison. Uh, so Big I, house. I actually like a sucker. I leased the house. Oh, you did. So it's a five thousand square foot house that I lease. Uh, and I'm pretty stoked that I lease it because, like, every month it seems like another $10,000 thing goes out on it. So, um, you know, I, historic homes are cool. And, like, I feel like if that's, like, your truly your thing, like, it's a beautiful hobby to have. Um, but as far as, like, living situation goes, um, not ideal, you know. Um, some rooms are 90 degrees. Some rooms are 50 degrees. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we always have issues with something, um, you know. Uh, I think the the whole like um what is that essentialism uh is like focusing on what you need to focus on and like simplifying the other stuff um I think you can either run a small business or you can be into you can be into gigantic old homes but <laughs> Not you really can't be into both at the same time <laughs> um so uh I might move into a tiny house or something I don't know that weren't on yet a close call there for a minute place started on fire fire in my bedroom yeah yeah that's um, terrifying yeah girlfriend found a, a a wall was incredibly hot uh and uh called a fire department came over they like poked a little hole in it and like saw the whole like utility stack was on fire uh and they're like we're gonna need to rip this wall out he's like get the red line and i thought the red line was like like a f- special fire extinguisher that like you know put fires out in walls <laughs> turns out it's just a goddamn fire hose uh hundreds or thousands of gallons of water so i'm like i'm like trying to protect all of my electronics my body while like firemen with axes are telling me to like get the hell out um and uh save the xbox thankfully um (laughs) and uh no not that it collapsed the first floor ceiling from all the water because i live on the second floor um i half my wall was all like charred remains for like a month you know while i was waiting on the landlord to fix it up um it was definitely like 
it was squalor. <laughs> you know, that didn't look like fun at no. all. And that could have been bad too. I don't know. I kind of feel like you're a little lucky there. It was my exit wall. So if, um, if we hadn't detected that the wall was on fire, just totally would have went to bed, like no problem and woke up to en fuego. So that's not, um, good. the landlord was super nonchalant about the whole thing too. They were like, they're like, uh, we'll get someone over to fix it. They weren't like, thanks for fix, thanks for saving the whole house, bro. Maybe they would have liked the insurance money. I don't know. They probably would have. Um, probably ruined. Like, this is my finally my way uh, out. Ah, uh, damn! They like, them paying off that mortgage. Well, they wired half of the second story off of a lighting sconce. That's why it blew, and it had no breaker. Why am I not surprised? I know. It I was see, all armor core too. I still see a fair amount of knob and tube. Oh yeah, I'm going through houses. It's not not as often as I saw eight years ago, mm-hmm. but something like one out of fifty houses I'm coming across. It maybe one out of forty, depending. And it's still kind of terrifying that there's that's still being used in 2015. My house is knob and tube that is sometimes converted to flexible armor core where convenient. Oh man, uh, and with old school junction boxes with cloth wire in it and. Uh, again, like they like added on a bunch of hokey shit, like in the eighties, um, everything's got a dimmer, even things that like aren't lights. Um, so it's just like very DIY. Like I think homeboy watched a lot of like HGTV or whatever, like the eighties equipment yeah, was, was before YouTube where you can actually learn uh-huh. how to do this stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, um, again, just glad I rent the place. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So now moving into a section where we talk about success like Mm. habits right so this is where i don't know if you have any routines any books any blogs any videos anything you you do or read or watch Mm. or what to avoid yeah um i think it's really easy to get trapped in like aphorisms uh it's really easy to uh read a lot of this sort of generic entrepreneurial stuff this sort of like effluvium and come away vaguely inspired, but really with no actionable items in which to carry that out on. Um, so I would be where I would be where most sort of like well-developed empires in uh, trying to tell you how to make money. Cause if the thing that I say is that if they, and this is so obvious, if they really have the secret to making millions and millions of dollars, why the hell are they hawking some book <laughs> on that's a good point on, you know, like late night cable. Um, and there's like a whole new breed of those for the sort of YouTube software as a service generation. Um, and so, so that's all like um, if it's some like crazy hack that like, you know, you can get houses for a dollar and flip them for a hundred million dollars. Like, they would not tell a soul that, let they alone wouldn't be selling it to you. Yeah, let alone like for thirty nine ninety nine. Um, so like, beware of that stuff. And also, um, a lot of the business books that that people recommend is like the go to, like the Ogilvy, like advertising book, and uh, the um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I hate um, that book. Like it was written a long time ago, and so um, maybe it was valid then. Um, think a lot of that's probably outdated um and a lot of it has like kind of like a machiavellian bent to it like yeah, it feels, it's a book of manipulation yeah i hate that it's book. really like do nice things because it'll it'll you know help you win people over or like win you know dominate basically over other people and in, in your marketplace um and uh, i just don't think that we need to do that 
Um, I think business works differently now and that the sort of dinosaurs that follow that methodology um, are going to get left in the dust. So um, just just be aware of who's telling you what you're learning. Um, the dude who started Basecamp, Jason Freed, uh, wrote a book called Rework, um, which they're like sort of bite size, like here's like all the things that kicked his ass in business and like how to that's avoid a, them. That's an excellent book. And they're like half page things. You know, they're, they're, they're made for someone who's like on the run reading stuff. Um, each, any page in it is like got something valuable to it. Um, I found that really interesting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm a, still a sucker for the Tim Ferriss podcast. I feel like I love that podcast. I know. I know. I'm such like a, I that's feel a so good basic. Podcast. It is, it is. And, I think the variety is good. I think, um, you know, like the Rick Rubin one was so good. Uh, and so he's talking, he's talking to people about success and like, not all of them are in small business in like a traditional sense. Like a lot of them are like Titans in whatever field they're in. Um, whenever they get into like the sort of like CrossFit body training ones, I'm like next, like skip. (laughs) Like I just don't, I obviously don't have the figure to maintain CrossFit. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that one's really great. Uh, and then I, I stay on top of the tech scene. So I le- read a lot of venture beat. Um, I read TechCrunch sometimes, but I find it a little frustrating. Um, and then probably three hours a day on Reddit. Like it's, you know, it's grotesque, but I can't stand Reddit. Oh no. What, what don't you like about it? I just don't, I, I think, uh, I don't know what I have against kind of the forum mm. thing, but I, I, I think it might just be blind discrimination. Like I just don't like the format for whatever reason it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I don't know how I got into it, um, and I, God wish I could get out of it. I actually installed <laughs> I installed like browser plugins that block block it, um, just to get other stuff done. Yeah, it's just kind of like that, like that, like baseline, like thing to go to for the dopamine hit. Just like like momentary boredness or like thought. You're like, well, read it, and like I could like type that URL in so blind, um, or like I could get it, I could get to it on my phone without looking at the screen right now. Um, it's just like. It's just a knee jerk thing. I think that's a big productivity boost too, is learning what your um, sort of hidden time sucks are. Like, what are you giving up like a couple minutes to every hour? Um, and those can add up to like dozens or hundreds of hours over the course of a year. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things I wish could be doing better. I wish, uh, and I'm working on this actively. Um, I simply wish that I would ditch the tech like a couple hours before bed um, because I feel like that, really hurts my sleep and then i wake up either crappier or later and like it's what you do it's you know nine o'clock at night can screw up 12 hours later and like you're set up for failure for that following day like right now i'm like chugging the mocha because i like need it for survival oh yeah uh because like i downloaded popcorn time and like watch some web series <laughs> you know um and so uh uh i would uh i would just hazard to say like all the boring things like the get to bed earlier, eat right, hydrate. Those are the most important. And like, they don't sound that amazing because like, you're like, well, everybody should do that stuff. Well, yeah, but like most people don't. Uh, and if you can nail those basics and like, just make sure that like the daily sort of like systems of life are figured out without duress, then like you've got freedom to do the big things that you need to do. Biggest mistake you've made or biggest mistakes. Oh man, that's a big one that you think would, uh, I mean that you would think would benefit someone to, uh, I know I have my I'm not naming any names. Fair share. <laughs> that's up to you. If you want to name names, yeah. I live my life with a terrifying amount of transparency. My wife 
hates it. <laughs> and I realize it's not for everybody. So sure. whatever amount you feel comfortable with, sir. Boy. Um without getting graphic, I would say um partnerships are a good way to um do way more than just like person A plus person B. Like it can be exponential. Um and if you have like a uh uh John Lennon, Paul McCartney kind of relationship going on where you're each handling like very different things and together you're a great team um, that you can do amazing things. Um, the rarity of a partnership that is that fruitful is astounding. Um, and, uh, you know, partnerships are all kinds of things. It's not just like equal partners in a business. It's also landlord and tenant. Um, it's also uh, if you're, you know, co-sharing a space, like if you're co-tenants in something, um, uh, you and your, um, vendors, you and your major customers, like all these come down to basically partnerships. Each person's bringing something to the table. There's an exchange of stuff. Um, and so being very careful who you, uh, uh, have in your orbit and really doing it with intention. Um, I have told myself stories like, well, this organization or individual has a terrible reputation, but like, I'm going to be really careful. You know, I'm just going to like watch out. Um, and it just gets you every time, you know, every time. Where were you eight years ago to tell me that? <laughs> You're welcome. I, I could have listened to that. Time machine. Oh, man. I Time wish there machine. was. Actually, I don't. Better I learned a lesson, right? Before yeah, you'd learn it somehow else. And like half the time I hear this business advice stuff and it just goes in one ear and out the other and I'll still go learn it the hard way. Um, and so I feel like all those little aphorisms about small business you know, you can read them all day, but until you go out there and learn them and get your ass kicked by them, they don't mean anything to you, you know? Uh, and so like someone listening right now is probably getting ready to ink a partnership on a shitty deal. Um, and they just won't even think about it, you know, but good, <laughs> good, good. Get ready, bud. Yeah. My feel, I, I despise partnerships, but there are some good ones. Yeah. Um, I think everybody just has to be really clear about what they want though. Right. And, yeah. and then the value yeah. you bring and then write it all out. Well, there's a great write short book out. called, um, slicing pie. And so slicing pie is like a two hour read and it's, um, it's all about how you can, um, it's a system by which you can allocate contribution, um, in a really objective way. So nobody is like, like unsure, like how much they're bringing to the table, almost nothing ever is 50 50. How are you ever going to equally put in exactly the right amount of time and effort and skills and network and reputation and never is going to happen. And so it's about basically like finding ways to assign a monetary value, um, to time contributions, cash contributions, assets. Um, and it turns into a matrix. And at the end you basically get people's valuation or, uh, their equity share on something. Um, it's best for like new organizations, like when you're starting something out fresh, but it also exists if you're like a company of one bringing people on how you would allocate that because you're just never going to be able to sit at the table and go like, I'm 70%, you're 30% and have like everyone come away from the table feeling that things are fair. Um, the core tenet of entrepreneurship and, and small business like strategic partnerships is that everybody comes away from the table feeling that they gain something. Um, and that's not impossible. Every, every opportunity that you have to negotiate with somebody, um, there is some way that you all can come away feeling like you're both better for it. Um, if one of you is getting something over on the other one, um, it's not sustainable and it's not going to work out. Um, and that sort of way of doing business is just like, is just 
it just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and, and I don't think doesn't, I don't think needs to exist. Like even if we didn't have the transparency of the internet and, and all this stuff, um, and, you know, sort of like instant reputation, uh, sharing with like Yelp and, you know, Facebook stuff, um, that we've just evolved as business people. Like we don't need to, we don't need to be so cutthroat. Um, you know, save that for like super huge companies operating on like three and 4% profit margins on stuff, grocery stores, things under Mifflin. Yeah. <laughs> with traditionally very narrow margins. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be mean. Well, that's a, so what is it called? Slicing pie? Slicing pie. Yeah. Slicing pie is a simple book. It's like four bucks on Amazon. Um, but the dude, the, the dude, yeah, he just I like be- the idea. Cause it's putting a monetary value to what you're actually doing. Right. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. What's more fair than that? Exactly. If I, if I, if in the marketplace, I could get a hundred thousand dollars, a year for my time, slice it up into two thousand hours, and you know, as I'm contributing that time to the project, I think its its value is two x. So basically, you're earning at two x. Cash contributions are four x because cash is way more valuable than you know than than time at the same value. Um, and uh, investor contributions are at one x. That's basically it. Uh, and with that, um, you reward folks for coming in. At, earlier on because they're earning at 2x and so the longer they've been with the project basically the more seniority they have they've banked up more of that sort of valuable contribution um and you know if you've got a money guy putting something in he should get rewarded for that money like money is is the rarest of things you know it's very valuable. capital is incredibly valuable exactly especially if it's earned capital not just some bank zeros yep yep that's somebody's life they traded totally totally money and they need that stuff to work you know so um (laughs) they do yeah, I think we're 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 quickly seeing also uh, uh, the, a difference between community investment in projects. Um, you know, communities being like business communities within cities, uh, uh, in, within industries, um, and VC, which is like rocket fuel. You know, um, and a lot of businesses like don't need and shouldn't have rocket fuel. You know, they should grow very organically and, you know, with a, a focus on the long term. Um, VC only works in like really limited situations in which you've got to get like a appreciable share of the market cap or you will die. Um, in, that's intense. In Detroit, yeah, and that's stressful. Um, in Detroit and in other smaller markets, like it doesn't, you could have 100% of the market cap, but you're not going to bring somebody $100 million back um, and so, you know, it's better to do it on a, on a slow sort of plotting course. Um, and we're seeing this community investment with things like, you know, Kickstarter and CrowdRise and, and Indiegogo and stuff, um, launching small businesses, you know, coffee shops and pie shops and stuff, um, that, uh, VC, like they spend that amount of money it, on their yeah. lawyer fees, yeah, you know? Small. Yeah. Takes too many years. Like Amanda shop We're right now we're recording at always brewing Detroit, always brewing Detroit.com. She's two and a half years in. She probably still has another six, seven months before she breaks even. Right. And that's pretty damn good for a brick and mortar business. And what VC or nobody would put any money no. into that, right? She probably works here six days a week. But she did get some micro loans to get some uh, uh, architectural drawings because she wants to add a kitchen. Is that NEI or K, uh, Kiva? Or? I think she went through the Kiva one. Okay, Kiva's yeah. it. Yeah. And she got people, community members backed her yeah. and backed the whole thing. Yeah. You know? So there's a place for that kind of uh, micro lending and community lending at a, at a much larger scale, yep. too. There's stuff that we need. We need dry cleaners, coffee shops. You know, these are... These are lifestyle businesses. These are things that um, somebody or a few somebodies can work at six days a week, 
bring home a, a you know a, a fair income um, and be useful to the community, but it's not going to throw off cash the way that investor investors who are just investing for the sake of return are going to get. Yeah, and that's that's why I try and come every day to always bring Detroit. They didn't have a shop before, and I, I want to make sure they stay. I like Amanda. Smart. Well, you know it was coming. Uh-oh. We're there. All right. How does one end up wrangling a tiger with a tarp? Very carefully. And a weed whacker. Extremely in, carefully. In an antiquated <laughs> train station. Uh, Packer plant. Packer plant. Sorry, yeah, right. antiquated plant. auto factory yeah, slash. Sorry, that was my bad. Meth warehouse. Um, yeah. No, I didn't mean that. Uh, you could have been tiger shit, dude. One day I might still be. Yeah. If I if I play my cards right. Um, <laughs> I'll get a second chance, Jeremy. Yeah. I'll get it right the next time. Uh, so they... Um, I've got the story so down now. Um, you know I, so, I was going to ask. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So, so my um, my building in Hamtramck is about a mile away from the Packer plants, right down Mount Elliott. Um, and I get a call from my buddy Tony uh, uh, one day, and he goes, "Hey, dude, uh, you got like a leaf blower?" And it's like nine thirty in the morning. It's an odd question. And I'm like, and yeah, and it wasn't leaf time. It was you know the middle of summer, and I was like, um. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, why? He's like, well, uh, we got a tiger uh, stuck here in the staircase, and uh, we need a uh, uh, something to make a noise, you know, a noise that he's not used to. And I was like, I didn't even like think about the tiger. I just thought about how to solve the problem. And so I was like, well, I've got like a weed whacker that like makes a lot of noise, and I've got like a hedge trimmer thing. Um, will that work? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Bring that over. Okay, I'll see you in a minute. And just like that. So I grab the stuff and I'm like walking out of my truck and I'm like, wait a minute, tiger? Like, <laughs> what? And so I go driving over there and he calls me again and he's like, oh, hey, dude, do you have a motorcycle helmet? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I got a lot of them, but like none with me. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just come over. Just come over. Okay. Jeez, that'll make you feel good. Building four, building four. Come on. And so uh, I drive up there and there's like, you know, a handful of cars there. There's a trailer with two wolves in it and a bobcat. Um, and uh, Tony calls me up to like the fifth story of this big building. So we go up there. You know, if you've ever been to Packer Plant, it's like a really deteriorated old brick uh, and reinforced concrete auto plant that's been abandoned. God knows forever. Um, the stairs are like crumbling and everything. It's kind of open to the, you know, inside is now kind of outside. Um, and uh, I get up there on the fifth story of the staircase and this Australian dude immediately starts giving orders uh, over the radio to Tony about how we're going to use this tarp to basically like corral the 770 pound Bengal tiger. That's and, a uh, big ass fucking tiger. Yeah, his man. name was Texaco. He's a big ass tiger. Kill you so fast. But by this point, I hadn't seen the tiger, and so I didn't really like know the fear yet. Um, and so we're getting orders from this dude to be the big blue scary tarp monster at the top of the stairs, and we start. We hold the tarp up, and he's like, "Okay, you know." You can't make human noises, and he can't see that it's a human. You know, you have to stay behind the tarp and be. Don't look at him. It's got to be the big scary tar monster. And so I think he's like three or four like flights down. We're walking down the stairs, and I hear this like really like low like sound, and it's him, super pissed off. And I get down like four or five steps, and I peek over the top, and he's right there. He's like five more steps down. Uh like laying on his side because he was like all hot he's trying to cool off um 
but he was growling and I look over the top and he's looking me right in the eyes. Like there was no, he was like not convinced of was I fucking the shit monster you, right? at all. Yeah. Food. Uh, and so I start moonwalking my way back up the stairs and Tony is not. And so he's like becoming increasingly exposed as the tarp rotates. Uh, <laughs> like this tarp is going to like bye, slow Tony. him down at all. Um, it's very funny that his name's Tony too. Um, it is. And, uh, so Tony starts backing up. Um, we talked to the guy on the, uh, the walkie and we switched to the hedge trimmer. Tony charges at him with the hedge trimmer making its noise you know, and uh, doesn't care. Um, he switches on the hedge or the weed whacker. We take the twine out of it. You know, we don't, don't want to hurt the kitty. Um, and uh, he goes running at him with the weed whacker and uh, the tiger actually makes a swipe at him. We got that on video too. I was terrified. I had my phone out like immediately. I was like, this is too good to miss out. Yeah. Uh, also, if My you notice, <laughs> on the phone, I've got a tarp up because I was thinking I would like foil the tiger with the tarp and then run across like 50,000 square feet, you know? That's better than no plan. It's better than no plan. It was a heavy-ass tarp. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you never know what adrenaline could accomplish in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm a track star. <laughs> and so uh, um, Tony tries the weed whacker, does not work, retreats. Um, and the guy's like, okay, he's really, really mad now. Um, we're <laughs> we're going to try something else. And so uh, we, we you know, go back down the other staircase and go out front. And uh, they get him back in the box somehow. We think they, like, tranked him or whatever. You know, I don't know what. Threw a cartoon-style net on him. Um, and then uh, huge media explosion. I posted the video on my Facebook just thinking it was, like, kind of neat. Um, it got picked up by every national outlet. Part two of the question is, I loved the verbal thrashing you gave them because you, you did a good thing with all this, right? You were raising here. Sorry. You tell the second part of the story where you got the beat up on everybody stealing your video. Oh yeah. So we had tons of national uh, outlets taking the video, um, posting it. Um, we gave permission to a couple, but a bunch of them didn't. And so, um, we wrote them legal threats, you know, at lawyer mom, um, basically that they had to donate money to, um, Dog aid, the uh, animal rescue. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, you know, we would sue them for many multiples more. My good um, friend, Jen Clarkson. Yep, yep. Yep. Doing good work. Uh, and they uh, uh, they received some money, um, some almost immediately, like within minutes of our threat. Um, the smart ones. Yeah, the yeah. smart ones. Um, a couple dumb ones that we're still we're still pursuing, but, you know, got a long tail on that. Um, and then, uh, we also sold t-shirts, um, uh, tiger watch t-shirts. And so, uh, we're finalizing the financials on that right now. Um, we sold about $2,000 worth of t-shirts. Um, we had like maybe like $900 worth of production costs. And so, um, we're going to get to send dog aid and, uh, the great lakes rabbit sanctuary uh, about 500 bucks a piece to, uh, you know, further their mission, which is rad. You know, we just want to try and like a weird, ugly thing into a good thing. Yeah, it was, that was an interesting way to spend something did quite honestly could only happen in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. What other city in this and not be eaten anyway, what right. other city in this world can you be in an abandoned Packard plant? Right. I don't know. I can't believe you did it. I'm, I'm amazed. You, did it. <laughs> you have a cool lifelong story and I like how you were just giving them endless amounts of shit for stealing your stuff. Cause if you were to record something on their TV and put it on YouTube, they would shut oh, you down instantly. I'd right? go to Guantanamo Bay right away. Yeah. yeah You're ruining sure. America. America. And instead, they stole your stuff, and you were calling them out, and I really enjoyed that. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, hey, shoes on the other foot now. Uh, That's right. I'm a media empire here. You want this like, tiger footage, or don't you? <laughs> <laughs> 
awesome story. Thank you for sharing again. I know you're probably tired of no, telling it. No, it's still but, fun. Uh, well, still yeah, fun. man, if I had that story, I'd get that tattoo on my back. <laughs> That's a great story. How do you know I didn't? You should show that to me right now. <laughs> that would be awesome. Actually, I probably never would have done it because it would have said tiger and I said, call someone nope. else. Call the zoo. I'm a chicken shit when it comes to that kind Tons of thing. Tons of people on my Facebook page were like, why didn't you call the zoo? I was like, dude, this wasn't really like an official situation. Like, yeah, you know, it didn't have like plans. <laughs> no. And if you probably thought about it, you wouldn't have done it that way. No, no, no. Just trying to help a friend out. Yep. Is there anything you want to talk about that I didn't ask about? Mm. you? Cause we're at two mm-hmm. hours and 13 minutes and I know you got shit to do, but if I miss something, I'm probably getting real boring by this point. Um, no, I would say, uh, uh, you know, I really honestly, and I'm totally biased. I would say that, I'd love for feedback from people who are on this podcast and how they think our tours are. Um, if folks want to ride tours, um, the emails go right to me. Uh, and so, you know, I know you're all business owners or investors. Um, we're trying to do something that is just non-traditional. And so I know, you know, when you're out on a limb, like you just want any feedback possible. So um, business owner feedback is especially important because they understand like if something goes wrong, how they got there. Um, so, uh, we bought DetroitTours.com, So you can also go to DetroitTours.com and check that out. Um, we're going to launch the one for one thing real soon. Um, also, uh, uh, you know, paper street morphed into, we actually took one of my tenants, uh, and built a full service vintage motorcycle shop in Ferndale. It's called MotoPow. Um, and so, uh, we've got three extremely experienced mechanics working full time, six days a week, um, to, uh, fix up old bikes. And so, um, cool motopow.com um we took that name off of some graffiti downtown someone had Moto rolled Pow. it motopow yeah and uh you know we we focus on uh vintage british and uh japanese bikes but we also do italian ones and german ones um and uh just have a ton of fun doing that like it's i'm just so happy um that we got that business off the ground and uh we've got an open house every third thursday so it's free food and booze trying to build a community space you know it's just um uh, it's just something kind of rare. I didn't know about that. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for coming out, man. I, I really appreciate it. Of course. It. Thank you for the time. Um, I want to thank Andy for his time today, and I want to encourage you to go check out what he is working on. Go to thedetroitbus.com, facebook.com forward slash Detroit bus. Hit him up on Twitter at that Detroit Andy or at Detroit bus also go to motopow.com mm-hmm. and what was the other one i'm sorry uh we had the detroit bus.com motopow.com detroit tours.com there we go detroit tours.com yep. detroit tours.com and if you've been on his tours and if you haven't go take one he would appreciate the feedback um since he came out and took the time today to share this i would appreciate it too and if you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful Give it a like, share it with your friends, post it all over the internet. It's a free podcast and all that sharing and liking really does help. And also if you have any comments or suggestions, reach out and let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. Or if you prefer, you go to youtube.com forward slash hello YouTube forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. Also, by the time you listen to this, it will be after Christmas and into the new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know there are lots of distractions. I do this every week. Mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, dumb shit you did, dumb shit you haven't done yet. 
just stick with it, man. Continue with it. Don't give up. Do something every day, every day, or as we say in Detroit, every day to get you closer to your goals, even if it's just one step. I appreciate your time. I know there's a lot of things you could be listening to and a lot of things you could be doing. Thank you very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. And until then, crush it.